0: Give me one special thing, right? Everyone's blessed with one special thing. I want you to know I plan on being a star. A big, bright, shining star. Yeah. Eddie Adams from Torrance.
1: Yep.
2: Jack
0: Horner, filmmaker. I make uh, exotic pictures. In 1977, a kid from nowhere made you think about your name. My name, yeah. Something a little pesant. Dirk Diggler. Good name. I like your name a lot. ...had a dream of getting somewhere. Jack Horner has found something special in newcomer Dirk Diggler. So let me just pop in this 8-track and you just give a listen tell what you think, okay? It was a time when disco was king. These are the ones. These are great. Yeah, those are really cool. Are they lizard? No, they're Italian. Do so you like my shoes?
2: They're pretty cool.
0: Sex was safe. Woo! Pleasure was a business. Cut! Terrific! Nice! work. And business was booming. And the award for Best Newcomer
3: goes to. Mr. Dirk Spindler! Wow. Goodbye, 1979. Hello,
0: 1980. Are you ready? But in 1980, the party was over. You are fired. What? You're fired. It's jealousy. It's deceitfulness. It's vindictiveness. But, I mean, God, what can you expect when you're on top? Oh, wait, 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 wait. About this part. New Line Cinema presents a, a portrait of two decades in the life of a business, the days of a dreamer, and the nights in between. nights.
4: Pitt. tonight we are doing something we rarely do in this uh, podcast I guess we're gonna call it that where we talk about a film that not only is fairly recent
3: uh, 90s this movies only uh, what 25 26 20, years it's old? 25 years old which is sort of shocking to me yeah yeah to think about it, it yeah. but by, by our standards it's brand new what's weird is I remembered it being like a 2000 film yeah. and I was like I don't know
4: why I mean I saw the damn thing in the theater I don't mm-hmm. know why but at any rate
3: yeah by our standards in fact when I told Laura my, my lovely and long-suffering wife <laughs> that we are going to cover this film she said isn't that a little too good for what you guys do like, what? <laughs> and, I, and I cursed her yeah It's like, well you're not wrong but <laughs> at the same time everything we talk about is good
4: You you can't see the quotes from where you're sitting, people, and I'm aware of that. That wasn't a quote. (laughs) Tonight, 1997's Boogie Nights. Paul T. Anderson. Oh, you haven't introduced me. Oh, well, hold on. The person whose voice you hear is the one who insisted that we cover this film. And in all honesty, when you first said, let's talk about Boogie Nights, I haven't rewatched that in 20 years. I mean, what, 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 what? But... It's also maybe too good a movie for us, just like Laura said. So, how are you doing, sir?
3: You still haven't introduced me.
4: I'm not going to introduce you. You're going to introduce you.
3: Well, my name is Rod Barnett. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you mispronounced my last name.
3: No, this is the incredibly handsome and lovable John Hudson. That's and I, right. And I'm um, doing well. I'm doing well. Talking about tonight, legitimately one of my favorite films of all time. If, if I really? were to assemble a top ten list, this is definitely in the running. I think this is a, uh, I guess I won't spoil it too much to say, I think this is an absolute masterpiece of a film.
4: Well, I'm not going to hide the ball either. I think this is an exceptional movie. I think it's uh, brilliant. It was really great to go back and rewatch it. I had not, in all honesty, probably watched it in almost 20 years. Uh, But that is, you know, that's no, (laughs) that's no indicator of what I think of it. I think it's an exceptional movie. I just think that it's two and a half hours long and uh, I don't, I don't like the uh, the idea of putting a slab of time that large someplace without, uh, without thinking about what else I could be watching that I've not seen before. Mm-hmm. But what a joy to revisit Boogie Nights. Holy shit, this movie's good. I'd forgotten a lot. I have to admit, it'd been so long. There are a lot of details along the way where I remembered the vague concept, the idea behind certain sequences, but could not remember the details. And so it was really kind of a uh, a, a a joy to kind of uh, not just revisit it but almost see chunks of it fresh mm-hmm. because they had faded from memory so well that I it uh, was it was fun it, was fun. it was like oh I think I, I think I remember how this goes I was like oh not quite and it's like oh I remember Alfred Molina not being this sexy
0: <laughs> and then <laughs>
4: coked up, stoned out of his mind. And, oh, yeah, yeah,
3: And listening to Night Ranger.
4: <laughs> well, I w- I mean, it was neat to have that little piece of information that uh, the way uh, the way uh, the, the writer-director kept uh, Alfred Molina centered in, the, in, the, in the, that scene is that he had an earpiece in the entire time that just had that song playing, it had Sister mm-hmm. Christian playing on a loop, so that no matter where they were, he always had that song stuck in his ear. <laughs> which i think is i think is great because his character is so screwed up in that sequence but man we're, we're way ahead of ourselves oh, yeah we
3: missed a bunch
4: well, yeah we, we, we already we've
3: already gone to the fall we haven't even talked about the rise yet
4: and yeah, we're it, not it, talking about erections either so. yeah
3: i mean we're still in the fir- we haven't even got to the first half of the behind the music episode yet
4: we? <laughs> well so tell me uh, i'm assuming you saw this theatrically back I did it came out as well i did it was, uh, I had not seen uh, P.T. Anderson's previous film at that time. I didn't see it until uh, well after Boogie Nights. But Heart Eight,
3: mm-hmm.
4: the, his first film, which is also sometimes called Sydney, that's the title he shot it under, I think is an exceptional film. And of course, <laughs> more than a couple of the actors from Heart Eight show up in Boogie Nights uh, one with a very large role and one with a smaller role. But, uh, well, any of those people showing up in a movie is. Usually, a good thing. Oh, yeah, there
3: aren't a lot of losers in Heart Eight. You know, there's not no, a lot of no. wasted space in that cast. That's a fantastic movie, too, and it is way too hard to see now. The DVD is long out of print. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, really. it is, and I don't think it's ever been released on Blu ray, at least not domestically. Wow. But well, yeah. that's
4: a shame because Heart Eight's a hell of a movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, I always think of it as his Reservoir Dogs and then yeah. Boogie Nights as his Pulp Fiction, you know, where it just explodes into this, like, Great little film, and then suddenly here is this epic.
1: Exactly, and, and I think
3: Boogie Nights is even more epic than Pulp Fiction. I think it's even shows an even surer hand than Pulp well, Fiction does.
4: I can agree with you. I agree with you, but I think it's mainly because of the way in which the uh, the, the the person writing and directing it. I think they're they've come, they're coming at stories from a different angle, and I am not just talking about the way in which Pulp Fiction plays with time. I am mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about how. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson very clearly had a vision in mind of covering about a six-year stretch that he considered to be the perfect period of time to tell a kind of iconic story of the American pornographic industry. In other words, what he was attempting to tell was an epic tale. Whereas Pulp Fiction isn't really an epic tale; it is an episodic tale of bizarre crime, you know, bizarre crime, uh, bizarre crime and character bits. Whereas Boogie Nights is a character piece, oh yeah, ensemble, and uh, Pulp Fiction, a lot fewer character. I mean, yeah, Pulp Fiction has a lot fewer characters, which means you get to spend a whole lot more time with individual characters and kind of get inside their head a bit more. Whereas P. T. Anderson's genius, as far as a writer is concerned, is he gets you inside a, a dozen or more characters' heads in a lot less time. Probably because he has to, and also because he's playing with he's playing with icons. He's playing with kind of perfect avatars and perfect stereotypes of certain types of individuals that we've all known to one degree or another. You may only know them well enough to know that you don't want to be anywhere freaking near them. Mm-hmm. But the the uh, the the joy of what he's doing is he's uh, he's basing much more than I remembered. Because the, the this is something that I always think is fascinating when you start uh, taking apart. The structure or the relationships within the structure of a story. Uh, the entire movie is about found family. That's what oh, yeah. Boogie Nights is about. Yeah, it's not about pornography. No, no, no. That's, no, that's just, incidental to yeah. what's happening. I mean, those are the those are the details, and the real story is about found family. It's about a family that builds itself around doing a certain type of job. And uh it's 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 kind of beautiful. And it's yeah, of course. Lots of problems. We, 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 you know we see uh, the breakdown of certain elements of it. We see the the push and pull. We see how each each person in the dynamic uh, gives the other characters what they need and then how they how their demands or their or their their, uh, I won't call them mental problems, but they're just quirks of personality cause problems for those around them and how by the end of it, people have learned to live with those problems and learn to, conquer them and, or move around them and use them in a, in a way that's actually productive mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the beauty of the, the, the arc of the film as well is we have um, the movie <laughs> the movie is bookended by two mind-bendingly great tracking shots uh, the movie opens with this incredible tracking shot that introduces us to most of the characters of the film as we start out on a street, follow a car down to a nightclub, and then we go inside the nightclub. And it introduces you to most of the characters you're going to need to know right off the bat in what looks to be a seamless single-camera take, although I think there might be an edit
3: in it. If there is, it's a good one. Yeah, I think there because might be I was one. looking hard for it, but it's you can cover those things up pretty well these days.
4: And then the bookend is at the end where the structure of the, the tracking shot is... um. Uh, oh from the front of Jack Horner's house out in out in the front yard all the way through the house out to the pool in the backyard. It's just one single tracking shot as we 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 cover everything that's going on inside the house. We we show all the relationships and how they're coming to a to a a happy a happy place where everybody everybody is back where they really probably should have stayed in the first place. And then the movie concludes, and it mm. concludes on that almost perfect note, where you you, know, you track inside, and we get another bookend scene, which is we get uh, the uh, uh, we get Mark Wahlberg's sad little character there once again, sitting in front of a mirror, taking a moment to try to get himself together before he goes out to be in front of a camera, and um, it's uh, it's it's amazing that uh, Anderson was savvy enough to know how to make the arc of the film work within those kinds of bookends where you are setting up something that you pay off later, but you're also mirroring the initial nervousness of the character with the nervousness of a veteran who's stepping back into
3: those He's making those the shoes. comeback. Yeah. Now, have you seen the, uh, the short film that he did, the Dirk Dickler story? Oh, no, I have not. Yeah, he directed a 30-minute short when he was in high school. Um, it was half an hour. He shot it on video. He Ooh. knew that he was going to have to work cheap. And um, just completely shot on video. Uh, and it's sort of a found, not found footage, but a Spinal Tap-ish. He, say, he always says that Spinal Tap meets Zelig. <laughs> like a documentary about the Dirk Diggler story. And it's not exactly like a short version of Boogie Nights. It's like, for instance, in the, in the short... Dirk dies of a drug overdose at the end. Oh yeah, okay. But the the one scene that's duplicated almost exactly from the short in Boogie Nights is Dirk records an album and <laughs> does "You Got the Touch" on the album. So it's it's I thought it was fascinating that the one idea that he's like I got to keep that <laughs> this shitty song we got to keep this shitty song. But in the uh, in the uh, short version he. That album becomes a big hit. He goes on television, and then his career fails, and then he comes back to pornography and dies of a drug overdose. Oh, well, but, it plays out
4: much better in Boogie Nights. with, oh, him, yeah. with that, you know, with it, it being presented the way it needs to, which is there's no way this is going to succeed, and he can't even get it off the ground anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, a
3: couple of neat things about the short is that Bob Ridgely, who plays the Colonel, yeah, is Jack Horner in the short. Oh, okay, okay. And then P.T. Anderson's dad narrates it, who is Ernie Anderson. Yeah. Who is the voice of ABC television. So so you know his voice. Yeah. He's on the love boat. <laughs> you know, that guy. You, you, if you're a certain age, you know his voice. So yeah, immediately yeah. he's Dirk Diggler. You know, he's got this great voice narrating it. And um, the guy who played Dirk in the film. Um, and I forgot to write his name down, and now I feel terrible about that. But he's in Boogie Nights. He's the guy in the stereo store that oh, yeah. Buck Slope is trying to sell this. Where he tells him he needs that bass. Yeah, yeah. That's the guy who played Dirk Diggler in the short. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, it's That's worth a watch. It's um, it's um, for a guy who is still in high school, it's pretty darn good. You know, it's very. Is much it included a, as an extra on anything? It's not, but it's on YouTube. In okay. And it actually should have been. I'm not sure why it wasn't huh. on the Blu-ray of Boogie Nights, but huh. but it's on YouTube and like, and it's not very good. Quite it's like edited on tape, so it's, uh, so it's, it's kinda, not. Yeah, you know, it's only going to look, but so good. But but you can see it in very watchable quality on on YouTube if you want.
4: Well, first of all, let's just say something. On revisiting this film, my memory of it is that the acting performances were exceptional, and on this rewatch. Yes, I, I my memory was correct. The act the performances are exceptional, and as a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to say this: Mark Wahlberg has never been as good after this film as he is in this film. Uh, I, I'm deadly serious. Uh, Mark Wahlberg in 2022 is an actor I actively avoid mm-hmm. uh, because, and a lot of that is because I think that he chooses projects from a from a point of view of making the dullest fucking films humanly imaginable. Uh, has the he, I think he looks at a script? Has this been made fifteen times before? I'll do it. Is every story beat
3: going to be obvious? Yes. Oh no, you're going to make make my life mad. <laughs> oh, Although I don't know if you've seen the Mark Wahlberg movie in, in a long time. Look, God. I ain't saying nothing against the 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 looks of the man. Okay, well then you're all right. <laughs> no, no
0: that's,
4: that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that it's like it's like every seventh film or so he'll make and it's like oh well that's something I haven't actually seen before mm-hmm. instead most of the time he seems to be playing it incredibly safe uh, I mean it's like oh wait they're gonna make a fifth Transformers movie oh I'll do that it's like yeah you're gonna
3: jump into <laughs> you're gonna jump into a series of films that have made six billion dollars. Well, oh, that's now, when the you safest it, though, thing I mean, in the world. He's saying the theme from the Transformers cartoon in Boogie Nights, it's only natural that he'll <laughs> be in a Transformers feature. Well, it's it's
4: also natural that somebody with that much clout would occasionally stick his neck out for
3: something that was really actually interesting. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you there. I'm and I, I think he's I, actually I agree with you. I, I think this is easily the best performance oh, yeah. that he's ever done because he's just extraordinary in this thing. And he wasn't the first choice, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, who would have also killed it it. He the would show. have been good, although um, of course uh, he chose to do Titanic, so it turned out okay for him. <laughs> he's 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 doing fine. He's he's all right. But um, <laughs> as
4: a, as, a, as a man once said, I'm sure Leo DiCaprio is farting through silks.
3: So. <laughs> I um, was talking to Laura this morning. I was kind of. You know, it is the typical thing I do when I'm working at home and she's trying to get out the door and I'm like just keeping her entranced with incredibly interesting information. Of course. And was telling her about how, you know, Leo was supposed to be the original the choice and chose Titanic I, said, but I think that wound up good because I don't think that I think he may be just a little too pretty for the part. And she's like, You think he's prettier than Mark Wahlberg? I, he is not. Mark Wahlberg <laughs> is so much prettier than Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm like, Well, you're, you're the judge there. I, I, they're they're both attractive men. I can see that, you know. But but I think that Mark Wahlberg has more of an every man. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio to me, you look at him and he's like, this guy looks like he was drawn. By Da Vinci, you know he doesn't look really like real. People. Well, especially in
4: those, especially in those younger years. Yeah. I, I like how he's aged into. I like how he's he's leaning into his wrinkles these oh, days. Yeah, yeah. I like
3: that. Back then, he almost looked like angelically perfect. Yes, exactly. And um, Mark Wahlberg doesn't. Mark Wahlberg looks like a guy who be like a good looking kid who'd be a bus boy. Exactly. You say, that's a good looking bus boy. But whereas Leonardo DiCaprio was like, that's an actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I think that that was. And in one of the interviews I saw with, with Paul Thomas Anderson, he said the same thing. They said, so he wasn't your first choice? He said, oh, well, he is now. He's absolutely the right choice. He wasn't the first person I looked at, but he was absolutely the right choice for the part.
4: Well, like I said, one of the things I had completely forgotten about was how good he's in this movie. And I, so many things that happen within the movie... Are built on the fact that Wahlberg actually pulls off some acting that, mm-hmm. like I say, in 2022, I'm just not remembering that he can do. Um, there is the famous one in the scene with Alfred Molina, but I'd like to before we talk about that. And people were just going to assume you've seen Boogie Nights; it's 25 freaking years old, and I'm not going to go in any kind of particular order because honestly, I want to talk about bits and pieces of this pizza, bits and pieces of the film, and I want to kind of link things across the entire span of it. Which is, I kind of think the way you sh- you're always going to remember the story anyway. Yeah, and
3: it would be impossible for us to go through the story like we do with a lot of the yeah episodes we do, where it's like, and then this happens, and then this happens because a lot happens.
4: God, it co- yeah. It's it's it would be with impossible. too many char- with too many characters, and it's just like it, we we could do an hour on the story of Little Bill. I mean, seriously, we could. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like William H Macy. Well, let's
3: talk about how great an actor he is. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then we could, we could do that right. Um, and but, he actually um, tells... A, I've watched a lot of little interviews in preparation for this. Cool. And he talks about... Um, they were asking him what the effect of being Oscar-nominated for uh, Fargo was. Uh-huh. And he says the first time he noticed that his life had changed was um, he got... the He was pitched Boogie Nights. Or he had heard about Boogie Nights. Maybe through his agent. I forget the details, but... He wasn't quite sure because almost every actor initially said, "Was a film about pornography? I don't know if I'm interested. But then they read the yeah. script. And it's like, ah, okay. And then they got it. So he goes to meet um, with Paul Thomas Anderson. And Paul Thomas Anderson is immediately like pitching to him. And he says, and, and Macy realizes, oh, wait, I've got this part. <laughs> he, he, I don't have to even worry. He wants me. I don't have to audition. He's trying to before, convince right? me to say yeah. yes. Yeah. And he said that's what he knew. He was, okay, I'm, I'm okay from here.
4: <laughs> well, he is, of course, he is excellent in this film. And and the, 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 the most amazing thing to me was there's a moment in the movie, there's a line that I had actually remembered over the years, and I thought I had misremembered it. And so I was really interested to listen to it again and, and uh, to hear that it was actually a screw up that Anderson then kept in the movie was was really revelatory. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the, the little Bill storyline—he's kind of the uh, wh- what was he what, what was he what was he considered like the second assistant assistant director? He's the man who wrangled things and kept things in motion while jack horner the actual director he's the one who made sure everybody was on set he's the one that arranged for the for the lights and the cameras and everything to be where they needed to be mm-hmm. he was he was what i in regular film i think they'd be just call just call him a line producer but i think he's actually also kind of really on these porn shoots he's really kind of the, the assistant director he's the one who's you know going over and talking to talking to the actors and making sure they're aware of exactly when they need to be where they need to be while the director's setting up shots and doing things like that right And he's obviously an integral part of getting things done. He's very good at his job, but he is married to a woman who is constantly cheating on him. And uh, this story plays out across the entire film. I'd forgotten that his wife was actually with them at that first uh, 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 awards awards show. She's sitting there next to him uh, at at the table. The big, mm-hmm. the big round table when Dirk gets his first award. And if you uh, know she's like rolling her
3: eyes yeah, while well, yeah. everybody else is so excited. and
4: <laughs> Well, and of course, it, Little Bill's wife uh, is played by uh, a, a, speci- a specific porn actress who I've had a lot of time for in my life.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now, now, it's a family show. <laughs> I, it's, it's not because I no, curse her. I curse <laughs> Are too much. Oh, it, it, we've never done a family show, but nope, it's the uh, the legendary Nina Hartley.
4: Yes, Nina Hartley is without a doubt one of the uh, the most beautiful porn actresses from the classic period, and uh, also a very talented lady and someone who I can hardly believe it, but she's she stayed in the porn industry in front of the camera for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, every interview I've ever seen with her, or read for, read with her, she just seems like one of the most down to earth, nice people in the world, and it's really great to. I, in, in the words, she was in this movie more than I remembered I only remember her being in like two scenes and the scene that and one of the scenes that I remembered her being in which is the scene in which her character is killed she's not even really yeah, in yeah you don't see her yeah and as a matter of fact I don't even I, I would bet money that she wasn't even on set there's no need you don't see that that's not the point of the scene the scene is following and that's another single camera shot that I think is absolutely amazing oh that one's
3: in, really uh, amazing yeah yeah I mean, we all just follow the long build. tracking shots are great, but let's keep talking about Nina Hartley for long. <laughs> Now she is um inside Nina Hartley she's um and and a lot of the people who are listening to this show um I, you you may or may not have seen an adult film before, and I'm gonna um throw a little extra information out here or there that's sort of boogie nights adjacent. That's a good idea because um there's some things that I think contextually will be important, but also I think a lot of people immediately assume that all adult films are terrible, and they're not. And that all people who make adult films are drug addicts and idiots, and right. and they're not. Yeah. Nina Hartley, back to her, is as smart as a whip. Yes, indeed. You do not want to get in a battle of wits with her. She used to be... Because um, you will probably lose. You would lose. She was one of the go-to ladies back in the... Uh, 80s and 90s if they ever needed someone on, say, Donahue or a show like that. Yeah. And she didn't lose any arguments that I saw. Very smart.
4: Very smart lady. And, uh, well, I, I do wonder, uh, we, we do know that there are more than a few porn actors who were involved behind the scenes on this film. Uh, as advisors.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, there's no way you're going to make a film about this industry and not be a part of this industry and not go to the people who were in the industry in that period for advice. And uh, I think that it's, um, I think it's interesting to be able to point directly on screen to a couple of them mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 they, they were there. <laughs> you can see their credits. You, can, you know that they, that they were there during that period, and so they're going to uh, add to the verisimilitude of what the hell you're seeing on screen. And that's something else that I think is fascinating about the movie is that it does seem to be, you know, we are talking about a slightly heightened reality here. But at the same time, it seems pretty true to life most of the way way through. There's not much there that strikes anyone as unbelievable, even people who worked in the industry. These are pretty human characters, pretty human foibles that trip them up. Mm -hmm. And the the character traits that make them susceptible to the screw-ups that they create are all built right into their characters. Uh, you spend a little time with some of these people and it's not hard to tell how some of this could go wrong. And uh, the, the real joy is the centerpiece of the film, the main character of the film, is you know, Eddie Adams, Dirk Diggler. And we follow him and when we, when we meet him, it's 1977 and he's 17. We advance over the next five or six years and what we watch happen is exactly the kind of thing that would happen to someone who has the kind of success he has that comes quite easily to him and the 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 money the women the adulation all the things that would trip up anybody at that age you're not really thinking clearly about anything at all when you're that age and Mm -hmm. it's and it's just it's just a fact we ought to we ought to do something as a, as a planetary society of human beings to make sure that nobody can destroy themselves before the age of 25. Because before 25, the choices you're making that you think are long term are probably wrong.
3: Well, I I can guarantee that most of them are. I, I would know.
4: <laughs> I think most of the choices I made before the age of 30 were
3: wrong. Actually, I made a few this morning. <laughs>
4: So the, at the center of the film is the Dirk Diggler character. We watch his literal rise and fall in the porn industry. And then uh, his uh, his his return, his, his hopeful return to the place where he needed to be in the first place. But the movie concocts this wonderful family around him. And don't get me wrong, it's uh, although there is a definite father figure and there is a definite mother figure, boy, you don't want to get too hung up on that family thing because incest is best, and I guess they knew that. So... <laughs> The, uh, the actors in the film that I remember being absolutely brilliant... First of all, let's, let's front and center something right now. Um, by this point in his career, I don't know that Burt Reynolds could have turned in a bad performance if he was halfway trying. There's something about him and the camera. There's so much just screen charisma and at this point, so much experience in front of the camera. I mean, his career started in the early 60s.
3: Yeah, on um, like TV westerns. Exactly, and, exactly. Of course, he was a regular on Gunsmoke, I think. And
4: yeah, yeah. And so, at this point in time, this is a person who knows so much about how to come across, how to get that idea that's on the page into an audience's mind. Effortlessly, it seems. At least it seems effortless when I'm watching him on screen in this movie. He's so good here that I gotta say, sometimes you look back at uh, people who win an Oscar, especially actors who have been, you know, who've had a career for a long period of time, and they are given an Oscar for a role. In their in their in the latter part of their career, and you think oh, this is this is you know somebody th- this is them making yeah, up for mistakes
3: the, in the past. It's the victory lap, Oscar.
4: Yeah, the, yeah, it is. We're gonna we're gonna give Al Pacino an Oscar for Sin of a Woman because he's deserved it like six times. Yeah, and he he's lost
3: out. Yeah, and and not for Sin of a Woman. Oh, man. that was or Al. Well, anyway, we're not gonna go I, down I, that
4: road. I, I like Sin of a Woman. Sin of a Woman is thirty minutes too
3: long, yeah.
4: and there's a little bit too much. Al indulgence in that yeah.
3: film. So I would.
4: I yes. Yeah, yeah. There's even a little Al indulgence in Heat, and he's really good in Heat too. But nevertheless, uh, the uh, you know, it's like we he he Burt Reynolds didn't get. He was he's first nominated for Deliverance, and mm-hmm. you know he didn't win. And uh, gosh, was he nominated for? Uh, I think he was nominated for another. He was nominated at least once once more. Uh, Cannonball what, Run Two. No, that wasn't it. Oh,
3: okay, I was <laughs> he was thinking. robbed.
4: Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but he was not. He was not nominated for that.
3: Oh, well, that is a shame.
4: I wanted to say something like starting over, but I'm, I'm probably wrong. Or the end. Maybe it was the end. That's possible. I, I, don't, I, I don't. I'd know. have to go back and look. Anyway, he is exceptional, and I think even if even if I had had my doubts by the last, you know, that 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 scene in right near the end where uh, Dirk comes back comes back to him and begs him, to, begs him for help. Burt Reynolds' Burt Reynolds' face is not on camera. His back is to the camera and he still emotes perfectly You're just with his body. You are absolutely
3: right. We, we are so singing out of the same <laughs> songbook tonight. And Bert is, again, we go back to the casting, he wasn't the first choice. Ah, yeah. Um, originally, they talked about Warren Beatty, um, Harvey Keitel, which both would have been yeah. interesting, the Albert Brooks which would have been Brooks Br-
4: Brooks can bring it.
3: Yeah. And the one that to me is the most interesting what if would was Bill Murray. That would have been Murray could bring it too, yeah. but
4: he would he would he would be at that time especially he would have been fighting against the the public perception yeah. of him, yeah.
3: But uh, any of those guys, I think, would have been interesting. But I think again, Bert was the right call. Oh well,
4: I mean, he 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 proved it. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he earned. I mean, he I don't think there's a word. single
3: person in this movie that wasn't the right choice.
4: Well, let's talk about the to to me the standout female performance. I mean, head and shoulders above everyone else, and everyone else is good. Julianne Moore,
3: uh, and she was the first choice. He Peter yeah. Anderson wrote that part for her.
4: So. She's she's a force of nature. Yeah. I've never seen her turn in a performance that didn't elevate mediocre work and make perfect, excellent work. Mm-hmm. She is astonishing. There's ne- I've never watched her on screen and thought, I'm watching someone act. And the thing in this is, this is the movie where, because of the part that she's playing, you should be able to pinpoint moments in the film where you're going, I'm watching an actor act. And intellectually, you can know that, but she's so fucking good at pretending to be a shitty porn actress <laughs> that she's effort. It just seems like she she's able to do it without even bothering to try. Mm-hmm. She's so good because in the scenes where she's playing herself, where she is Amber or Melissa, the character's real name, when she's Maggie. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Why did Maggie. I say Missy? Oh, I know. Oh, oh God. You're right, Maggie. You are correct. When she is actually that character, she's the excellent the excellent actress we've always known. And when we're watching her film scenes with dialogue in a porn movie, she has that that flat affectation that non professional actors think is acting. Mm -hmm. And she's perfect because if you've seen a few porn films, and I've seen one or two, just a you know just a a couple, just a handful. To be able to make a judgment call on this. This was her search. I would never. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she hits it out of the park. And I think that part of what makes her performance in those scenes so great. Is that she's up against in that scene. Mark Wahlberg's Dirk Bigler character. And he comes off as a better actor in the scenes with her. Because he is so pumped full of energy. And so so insistent on being as good as he can be, that his nervousness actually makes his his vocal inflection seem more realistic mm-hmm. as opposed to her. And she's the veteran. She's the one who's done this for years. And that is, once again, that perfect byplay where she's playing it perfectly so that we get the idea, we get the impression that we're supposed to get from the scene, which is the veteran who's done this a thousand times before and the person who's doing it for the very first time. It's it, Everything helps to tell the story in ways that you don't even have to consciously be aware of because they just seep into your recognitions of what is being presented to you. It just is well told.
3: And, and um, not that I am um, a Juilliard-trained musician, but I, am, I do know how to play an instrument. And if somebody says, play like you don't know how to play, it's, it's not easy. No, it's And it's just like saying, act like you don't know how to act isn't easy. It's not easy at all. Now, having as someone who has also seen one or two adult films, ah, uh, oh, okay, not there I, are. I, I was, was going to ask. I've, I've seen a couple, <laughs> and there are a lot of really good actors and actresses in those as well. Oh yeah, oh exactly. Um, you know, that's again. I think I'll wave the flag for the adult industry all through the show again. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, flag, because, what flag are you waving? Well, <laughs> Sorry. I, I will say that a lot of them are junk. Uh, you know, there's uh, no denying uh, that. But a lot of horror films are junk. Of and course. comedy. Everything. Every genre is. But there are some good films out there. And there are some really good actors and actresses in the films. Um, Amber Waves would not be one of them. No. <laughs> not Seeing no. her performance. And there are some people who act about like that as well. But... I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, that, Boogie Nights isn't a documentary, so they don't have time to show every <laughs> yeah. aspect of things, but not everybody in, in porn is a bad actor. No, there's some good ones. No, but there's a, there's
4: a certain competence level that that you strive for in those movies, and if you can just make that, everybody's going to be just fine. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's, it, you, you delivered the dialogue and you didn't trip over your own feet. Well, we're, mm-hmm. we're good. All right, good, good, good. Thank you. But the uh, that that tightrope walk of being really good and Julianne Moore is really oh, really so good, good and being able to pretend that she's not holy crap that's you know that's she metaphorically she would have a net under her and her net is everyone around her and especially her director
3: but my god that's hard mm. <laughs> it's just not. It's
4: not an easy
3: thing to pull off. Well, I think, I mean, the, before we break down everybody in the cast, I think this is one of the be- most extraordinary casts ever assembled.
4: It's pretty amazing.
3: Um I recently um, showed this to my um, ex-girlfriend Michelle's daughter, Hannah, who's 22 now. Gosh, she's 22 now. I can't Hannah is 22. She's Hannah's 22. Oh yeah, I know. That little girl you used to see running around <sighs> is 22, but... I showed her this movie. This is um, this is one of those movies that a lot of people haven't seen because it's just outside of the mainstream enough yeah. that a lot of people don't know about it. Um, and um, she really did. Of course, she's younger too. I mean, she wasn't born when the thing was released, but she she thought it was incredible. And then she showed it to her boyfriend, and he's watching it. And like every person in the cast, oh wow, they're in this. They're in this. Yeah, they're exactly. This? And so many of these people were either. Unknowns or almost unknowns when the cast was put together. Yeah, you know, that it's just amazing to yeah. see the talent that, that they put under one roof in this thing.
4: Well, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Don Cheadle. I mean, we're just talking about characters who don't have a lot of screen time.
3: Yeah, these are like the bit players. Yeah, you know, the, the the, guys like the,
4: that. The, the, the bit players are people with humongous careers. Yeah, good lord. I mean, the uh, Phil, you know, Philip Baker Hall, talking about you know another holdover from uh, Heart Eight. Mm-hmm. he only has a few scenes but you know he's a, he's one of those character actors who can come on and just own dialogue and, and walk off with just whatever you hand him and he's brilliant and there's and he's like I said he's in what three scenes three yeah, scenes in something the entire like that,
3: but every scene
4: he's in he, he owns it completely yeah Philip Seymour Hoffman sat, sadly passed away a few years ago. But you know what? You know, maybe he burned twice as bright and therefore half as long. i sad to say, but he's. I, I remembered the character distinctly. I did not remember how good the performance was. Mm-hmm. And you could, I mean, it can be character character down to that scene where he's so frustrated and angry with himself and sitting there in the car and oh, that is so himself.
3: heartbreaking. Yeah, it, yeah, it is so truly good.
4: heartbreaking. It it, it it can be pared down to that scene but his performance on both ends of that scene are they they're they're beautiful and what he does mostly without much dialogue at all i mean it's all physicality and facial expressions and longing despondent mm-hmm. looks he's 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 so good in this movie and it's like it's not hard to see him in this film in 97 and realize, oh yeah, yeah, this guy's career was gonna was gonna skyrocket. Yeah, and it did.
3: And same with Don Cheadle, who was again not the first choice for that part. And oh, I know, yeah, they said they sent the
4: script to uh, Sam Jackson, and he just he read the script and he didn't understand. He's like, what, "What am I? What are we doing here? What would
3: this be?" And I'll say this though, I think that Samuel L. Jackson would have been the absolute wrong choice for that character. I don't know. I can see him doing it, especially at that time. This is before he was Sam Jackson, you know. Even then the Don Cheadle, just his face and his voice. The character voice, yeah, the character there's would have a been vulnerability different. there. Exactly. That Samuel L. Jackson does not have. And I don't yeah, yeah, I I, I do don't think right. I don't think it would have worked as well.
4: Not probably not as well, although I can see there the, the the scene in the donut shop, I can see exactly why Anderson would have thought of Sam Jackson. For that role, because that's the central hinge scene for him, mm-hmm. where he 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 gets to be gentle and loving with his 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 pregnant girlfriend slash wife, but then he has to he has to survive that horrible that horrible robbery incident in the donut shop, and that's you know that's his hinge point. That's the thing that allows the character to have his dream.
3: I like, um, see. He could have pulled that scene off, but like, think about the scene in the bank where he's being told no. Yeah, yeah. And um, and just the heart, the heartbreak again. We well, use that word a lot. I don't, I don't see Samuel L. Jackson being able to do that the same way that Don Cheadle was able to with just his eyes. And
4: the, the in that scene you're talking about in the bank, it's the line, and I wondered if it was scripted or not. I wondered if it was just something that you know was come up with on the day. It was probably in the script, but that moment when he adds, "Is you know, just tell me what I have to write on. You know, tell mm-hmm. me what I have to write down, and I'll do it." And it's that that tone of desperation in his voice. It's 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 just incredibly affecting, and he's he's really really good in the scene. And the uh, uh that's that's uh, Don Cheadle was just as worthy of a Best Supporting Actor nomination as Reynolds was
3: well honestly they could have filled out all five of the slots Well, yes I agree were, William H really Macy yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman John C Riley let's talk John C Riley um, this is the first time I ever saw John C Riley because once again I, I did he was you know he's the he's the lead of heart eight. Maybe it's a co-lead. I'm not really. I can. not yeah, I mean, maybe feels maybe maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman is the lead.
3: It's been a couple of years. Since I'm sorry, Philip Baker Hall is. The, yeah, is the it's lead. been a few years since I've seen Hard Eight. I guess maybe five, six years, and I can't remember exactly. Yeah. I know, either way, he's if he's not the lead, he's a co-lead. He's he's got a big part, and he's, he's good in that.
4: Yeah. He's really good in that. But this being the first film that I saw him in. Uh, it was really weird later on to see him uh turn up in so many kind of really broad comedies and he's very don't get me wrong he's very very good at that but uh, it, it's uh the the earnest awkwardness that he is so easily able to portray on screen i think almost always works better for me in the dramas mm-hmm. that he's done well like in magnolia yeah. Or Chicago. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, even better example. Yeah,
4: yeah, where, where you're watching this man who's who's, earnest and a, a sweet person, wouldn't harm a fly. Almost in every case, he's just someone who you kind of want to root for, even though it, at heart you think he's a, a doofus. And you're, you're pretty much terrified that he's going to fail. <laughs> you're pretty much terrified that whatever he attempts, he's going to blow. And the, uh, the, the joys in this is that, that earnest awkwardness comes across so many times and in so many different ways in this movie, even in moments that are triumphant for him when, when the, the scene where he's being a success on stage, as a, as a magician, later in the movie, even there, even that, there's a little bit of awkwardness in what he's doing on stage. Where he's like accidentally clanking, you know, he's he's clanking the 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 swords together, you know, a a little too much Mm -hmm. and at the wrong time. Not enough to ruin his performance on stage, as you can tell from the from the reaction he's getting from the audience, but you can see on his face. This is how good an actor he is. You can see on his face that he knows that he's 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 making a little mistake there, and he can't really forgive himself. He's just hoping that he gets by, and it's things like that where where. He's so good that it's not a shock that he was. He's also just a, just a really good comedic performer. But I have to say that that ability to ring <laughs> pathos out of in uncomfortable scenes uh, works all, always works better for me in, in the dramas with him because I I, I, I kind of want to just walk into the scene and hug him. And go, it'd be all right. <laughs> it'd be it'd be all right, Mr. Riley. It's gonna, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. I promise. What you need to do is just. Step back, you'll be all right. <laughs> but he's he's so good in this. Uh, what I loved is I didn't remember the details. I remembered that uh, essentially, and I'm going to use this phrase: when he meets uh, Wahlberg's character there at the at pool poolside at Horner's uh, Horner's house, I always always remembered it being it's a it's a it's a dick size competition as they're talking about how much they can squat and bench press.
3: Oh yeah, and like when he does the jackknife. Let
4: me show you what you did wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's like (laughs) we're going to establish right off the bat that this guy is a screw up, but not one that's. I mean, but 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 not not the kind of screw up who's going to harm anybody. He's just a screw up who's going to accidentally harm himself. Really.
2: So let's talk about the future. Let's talk about what video means to this industry, and let's talk about how all of us, not one of us, how all of us are going to profit. I've been doing theater in San Francisco and San Diego Not as long as you've been doing stag and hardcore, Jack We're all familiar with your biography, Floyd Floyd, no one is doubting your credentials or your history Then why the resistance? I mean, this industry is going to be turned upside down soon enough Why help it? Why not be prepared? Colonel's got the money, you've got the talent, Jack I got the connection to the equipment and the mail-order distribution Not to mention those kids out there Oh, are hot-fuck action to the max, Jack. This is the future. Videotape tells the truth. Wait a minute. You come into my house, my party, to tell me about the future. That the future is tape, videotape, and not film. it's amateurs and not professionals. I'm a filmmaker. That's why I will never make a movie on videotape. I'll tell you something else. I will never... Ever loan out any of that. Wait wait, 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 wait. I'm not a complicated man. I like cinema. In particular, I like to see people fucking on film. But I don't want to win an Oscar and I don't want to reinvent a wheel. I like simple pleasures like butter in my ass, lollipops in my mouth. That's just me. That's just something that I enjoy. Call me crazy, call me a pervert. But there's one little thing that I want to do in this life. And that is, I want to make a dollar and a cent in this business. Now, Jack, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you stay one step ahead of the game. We're going in circles now. We're in familiar territory. The territory we in is the future. Not to mention the cost. You know, if it looks like shit, and it sounds like shit, then it must be shit. You're holding on too tight, Jack. It doesn't have to look good. Film is just too damn expensive, and the theaters are already converting to video projectors.
4: I, am right there. I mentioned earlier the, uh, shall we say, odd family dynamic, but it's such a, it's such a touching thing. You have Jack Horner, the, the, the film director played by Burt Reynolds, who really is the father figure. Uh, and I, I love, I love that he's gathered around this family of himself, around himself, with Amber, the Juliana Moore character. He's got a daughter, Roller Girl, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and I I love that it's almost as I almost felt it was hitting hitting that that nail a little too hard in that final tracking scene at the end of the movie where he's, he's he says to Roller Girl, he says, could you do me a favor and move the junk in your in your room to one side, kind of like clear. Half of the room, so you know it, it is that it is that thing that like so yeah, somebody they're parent, they're, it's a very much apparent thing. It's like could you clean at least half mm-hmm. your room, please? Just half of it. That would be great. And uh, it's like it's, it's almost hitting it too, but it, at the same time, it was like no, it's kind of perfect because he's he is a dad, but he but he's it's it, it, there's no way to get away from some of those things, and that 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 wonderful look on his face as he go as he gets out to the pool. And uh, uh, Don Cheadle's character's uh, little boy is in the pool there, you know, being played with. And he, he he's like t- touching his head and kissing him and going, oh, this is great. Th- this is, he's now, and that's that's the moment where you realize, oh, shit, now he's a grandfather.
3: Yeah, he's got a grandson. Now.
4: Yeah. And then he turns around and he goes back in. It's just this, this wonderful dynamic where the, I joked about the, uh... <laughs> The, inc- the incestuous aspect of it with juliana Moore not only being a mother figure to dirk diggler but also of course having sex with him repeatedly because not just on screen but at least at least once that the movie presents to us as a kind of a kind of a way for her to to feel good about herself at that point in time and the uh the <laughs> it, it's best not to examine that thought process much further than the the kind of surface level because it does get into that that terrible dynamic that I'm not altogether sure that uh, P T Anderson was willing to delve into that's that's a whole movie into itself right. to just kind of examine the uh, <laughs> the possible mother son incestuous combinations there that creep into people's minds. Uh, there are whole subsets of porn that <laughs> kind of explore <laughs> that aspect of uh, human sexuality, and I'm not to get. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's there because it's just another nod to the complexities of human sexual relationships. Right. But uh, and, and it certainly doesn't get in the way, and it speaks volumes. That uh, well, you know, I will say there is that scene that, that coked out of their mind scene before they clean themselves up between Roller Girl and Amber where they're just out of their minds and they're, they're, they're both so sad that Dirk's not there anymore. And that's it, it becomes evident that Roller Girl and Dirk really did have this brother-sister relationship and she was irritated by him a lot because you can, there There's several scenes where you see her being irritated when he's like dismissing her or just not even really paying that much attention to her around the house. But he, she is sad that he's not there anymore. She misses him. And then Julianne Moore's character, Amber, is really upset because she refers to him as her son.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's like, yeah, 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 son that you had a lot of sex with. <laughs> let's let's be clear.
3: Course, at the same time, her real son is lost to her.
4: Yeah. And she's... Talk about that scene. Whoa. Yeah. The scene with the... It's it's kind of amazing. The I for, I've forgotten that her ex-husband is played by John Doe which is a bit of a shock for, for all of you out there, check out the band X.
3: Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> You'll thank me later. <laughs> yes, you will. But the, uh, and if you don't thank them, you should. you're wrong. If
4: you you're, you're wrong if you haven't if you haven't thanked me by the time you you check them out. Uh, i forget, he's actually pretty
3: damn good. Too. Oh yeah, he's good, and yeah. he's got a he's got that great sort of hang dog face. Yeah, yeah, that just works perfectly. And I thought it was great too that Jack Riley played his attorney, who I love from the old Bob Newhart show. Oh, I know, I know that. It's like a, it's like this play. This thing
4: is filled with with little character actor pieces here and there all over the place. It's
3: insane. But yeah, that sequence is so good. And I um reached out to um, Serena Zarnicki who acted as just Serena in the 70s and early 80s, and asked her if there were any parts of the film that rang true for her, and she lost her daughter. Her husband absconded with her daughter when she was very young, and she, I think, tried maybe three times to get her back and just couldn't because of the position she was in, and no judge. You know, she said, what I was doing was illegal, so... I had no foot, no leg to stand on. Yeah. And um, she was finally able to reestablish contact when the girl was 18 because she reached out to her. Yeah. But she just lost her all through the years when she was growing up. So she thinks that that part of the character was based on her story. And if it wasn't, it sure could have been.
4: It's it is heart-wrenching it's one of those moments where you're looking at a situation and realizing that it's 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 easy to identify with the broad the broad strokes of it with, with even uh, without the details being anything that you know 99.999% of human beings would ever experience it's like mm-hmm. being in a position where you have to admit to a judge that you've had you know you, that you've been arrested for anything and realizing that the moment you admit to that, the moment that that's on your record, that any any chance of you being viewed favor favorably is gone. Yes, yeah. gone. Um, one of the harsher aspects of the movie, and I'm still I, I, I wrestle with it because it's such a harsh way to look at these characters at the outset, is best put forth by this the the overdose scene at that uh, at that initial party where this uh, girl shows up with the, the film producer. First thing out of her mouth is, is there any coke at this party? And she ends up overdosing. And every single individual who is there when she's on the floor overdosing has absolutely no thought what for her whatsoever. And it is... Um, first of all, it, it's... I, 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 I know what the film is trying to tell us. It's not that they're callous you know, callous human beings. It's that they've seen this before. And in their mind, she did this to herself. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this young girl who looks, I, looks to be a teenager to me. That's at least how she, that's how the character seems and how she plays it. And it's horrible. I mean, we have these, these characters who, who we never learned anything about this character. They're hauling her off, going to dump her at a, at an emergency room. Mm-hmm. And that's the last we know of it. And it's you know the very next scene where we see most of the characters in that room, they're out at the pool, you know, talk, talking to everybody and you know and going on like nothing happened. And the, the callousness of that, I think, plays a whole lot into showing you early on what the dark side of this could be, and eventually it does deteriorate into the the nature of standing there and watching. Even a character that you come to just absolutely love, the Bert, the character, the character Burt Reynolds is playing, whose entire reaction to it has absolutely nothing to do with this this girl's, you know, well-being at all. It's 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 rough, but at the same time, that they're you know, he's trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. He's trying to show you through action what these people experience. This this party is pretty standard stuff, and the. There's a part of me that wants to 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 say that Anderson kind of paints this character as, uh, in a Friday the Thirteenth film, she would be you know
3: begging for the machete, you know. <laughs> She'd be the one who heard a noise in the woods and went yeah, out and went out of the woods to yeah.
4: see what the noise was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, you know, I don't want to say willing victim, uh, but foolish child mm-hmm. put into an adult situation. With absolutely no guardrails, because the adults around her aren't interested in those guardrails, they aren't interested in being that kind of parent to someone that they don't know. Um, it's it, it, it's it's a rough sequence and it's uh, it's a, it's a really jarring thing, but it is perfectly placed within the movie to be that kind of thing that's warning you the whole time, you know, don't get too happy. Yeah, don't get too happy, man. It's it's good script writing. It's good. It's good structure. It's uh, you're right about the sure-handed nature of this film. The filmmaking is impeccable. You look at it, and when you know, okay, the movie's a little over two and a half hours long. There's a part of you, no matter what kind of film watcher you are, who thinks how much dead space is there in that? You know, what am I going to miss if I go to the you know if I go to the bathroom and I don't pause it? What am I going to miss if I go get something to drink without pausing it? In this movie, you you don't want to do that. Yeah, you're going to miss something important. Yeah, you're going to miss a character piece. You're going to miss some foreshadowing. You're going to miss something. Even if it's just a silent look on a character's face, you're going to miss
3: something that tells you volumes. Yep, and there are a lot of silent looks Yes, in this film. Um, and some of them are in places, I think, at the diner scene where... Burt Reynolds is sort of pitching the idea to, to um, Eddie Adams yeah. at that point yeah. about, you know, here's what we do and here's what you could do. And big chunks of the scene, instead of focusing on Burt, we're looking at Julianne Moore's face while she's yep. listening to both sides of this conversation and just her reactions are just so great. And that happens again and again and again in this film. You just see, like people's faces reacting to things going on and it's just so many beautiful moments.
4: There, there's a part of me that in that scene you're talking about there in that diner, there's a part of me that thought, is Anderson going, okay, out of these four actors, she's the best. I'll focus on her. <laughs> <laughs> but then as you as, as I'm rewatching the movie, I'm realizing, no, 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 no. Because the most important decisions that are being made at that table, the decision... Burt Reynolds' character is there to make. He's already made. Yeah. The, the, the decision that Eddie needs to make, we already know the answer to. He's already put himself in the sex industry just himself in that back room as a, as a, as a busboy. Mm-hmm. Heather Graham's character, the fourth person at the table, she's already in these movies. The one person who's got the most to think about at this table is Julianne Moore's character, Amber. She's the one making the decision on how is this gonna work and how can I help make this work? What do I think of this kid? Is Jack right? And that's what she's doing. She's listening and she's straight across. She's she's seated straight across from Eddie, her eyes on his face. And it's just it's a it's a brilliant thing because it is whatever happens in her head. That matters in that scene. All the other there are there are no other decisions being made at that table, other than hers. Her decision is what am I looking at and what is this going to be? It's just it's 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 excellent stuff. Uh, we we didn't talk about Heather Graham. Uh, I'll just say it short form. My God, she's amazing. Oh yeah, I had not realized. Uh, you brush by some performances in this movie because there's so freaking many characters, and and, and the thing is. Her character has a wonderful arc and it's tough. It's a very difficult arc. And she's she's way better than I remembered and I remembered her being good. And um, I I've, I've got to pay more attention to the work she did after this because I can remember certain I can remember the the Austin Powers sequel where she was a lot of fun where she you know she really showed great great comic flair. But I I've, I've, I've never paid attention to her abilities the way I have other actresses of her generation and I think that may be a loss maybe for Hollywood and maybe a loss for me and I've not been paying attention I'm not sure
3: yeah I don't know how many of her films that I've seen I remember seeing The Hangover and um but she's only got like a bit role in that yeah she's not not very much in that so um but yeah she's just so good and again just her her face her I mean everything just so good. Everything she does is so well, good in this film. If
4: you if you want a master class in in what she does perfectly in this movie, that scene in high school where she's in the class and yep. that test is being handed out, watching her. There's not a word of dialogue in that in that scene for her, not one freaking word. And you know her entire high school history watching her in that classroom. It's 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 excellent work. It is the kind of thing that uh, is is it's really hard to to pull off and she's she does it wonderfully. I don't know I don't know I don't know what kind of direction she was handed, but she did a good a really good job in that sequence and she that pays off repeatedly throughout the movie because we've already set the character in stone. We've thought we've known her because she's this porn actress who's really sex happy. And it's that scene where you're going there's a lot more there and mm-hmm. there's and what's there is kind of kind of
3: complicated. Yeah. Well, another great Heather Graham scene, of course, is the scene in the limo, mm-hmm. which is just chilling, and that's based on a real, a real film um, called On the Lookout, or not On the Lookout. That's it's called On the Prowl. On the Prowl, yeah. That uh, Jamie Gillis, pretty much, and I haven't seen it, so I'm not. I can't pretend to have seen the whole thing, but I've heard about, it, and it's apparently a pretty. Pretty sad thing to watch, uh. you know, where they just like he's got an actress in the back of a limo, and they grab a guy off the street, and it's apparently Heather Graham's performance, her facial expressions as the thing unfolds, are pretty close to what was actually on the on the film that they did. It's one of the first Gonzo kind of films where they brought a lot of reality in, and uh, yeah. yeah, not not really for me, but um,
4: yeah, well, I mean, if, it, that her reaction when she gets out when she gets out. Once Jack has has started beating that kid, beating that kid up,
3: Mm -hmm.
4: and she gets out and just unleashes her own violence on him. It's 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 an amazing thing to watch that scene because you you if you're there you feel you feel I would need to step in and stop Jack from doing what he's doing, but when she starts doing what she's doing. I want to, you know, I just kind of want to go. Hey, hon, come on. I, he's he's suffered enough. Mm-hmm. You know, one more time, okay, one more time, and then let's go. let's go. She's justified. She's justified, and I don't. And I think Jack really isn't. And
3: well, I I think that's thought the, it was great that the breaking point for him wasn't all the other stuff that kid was saying. It was like your films suck now. Well, I know. Well, that's <laughs> what I mean. He's not
4: justified because that what that what that kid is saying to him insults his pride and so his reaction is because his pride has been hurt she has been insulted to her core oh yeah and so her violence is like I'm willing to let that slide (laughs) when she is kicking that kid I'm like yeah you know there's there you kind of earned some of this man not all of it you definitely definitely didn't earn all of this but this a couple of these kicks you earned this I'm
3: sorry she owes you a couple of them yeah 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 she does. Ah, yeah, she's so good. One character who I don't think gets one of the few characters that we don't see their full story play out is the African American actress Becky Barnett, who is um, she gets married in the middle of the film. yes uh, there was more there, but it got trimmed down. Yeah. It did, and um, and in in the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, you can see it, and I I can see why they took it out, but um, but at the same time, it's the one deleted scene that would have added something to the film. And, yeah. In her story, her husband turns out it's and it's a story that has happened a lot. Wow, I'm going to marry a porn star. That's so hot. And then they realize, wait a minute, she's a porn star and she can't. I mean, she she's not going to stop her stop working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly jealousy and possessiveness and everything comes yeah. out and it turns ugly and abusive. So um, Anderson decided that it would be better just to let her have a happy ending.
4: Yeah, and which I think is the best choice. I
3: think know. so too. The scene is is really good, though. I mean, with her husband, you know, the abusive husband, and everything. Some really good acting there, and it's uh, also we find out she calls Dirk for help, and he's on his way over to rescue her and crashes his Corvette.
4: Uh, that's how the car. And that's got how the wrecked, car yeah.
3: gets in it, and of course, as soon as he crashes his Corvette, he immediately forgets that she called him in a life or death situation, and starts to worry about his car. So he turns around immediately and drives it back home. And worries how he's going to get the car fixed,
4: which of course would have been just another painted painted in detail of yeah. how far this character has fallen. Exactly, is he's, he's obsessed with himself now to the point where he can't see past his own.
3: He can't he can't see past himself at all? And I, without the scene, I think the film still plays pretty well. Whereas just you see that Corvette dented up, and it's like, and you don't have to know. It's oh, you don't like, have you don't need. It's like everything much, else uh, is falling apart. You know that's going to fall apart too. Oh,
4: I'd forgotten how I'd forgotten. First, that Thomas Jane was in this film. Oh, yeah, when he walks in, he's like, oh, wow, there's Thomas Jane. Yeah, I'm like, oh, holy shit, I love Thomas Jane. <laughs> holy crap, he's, he's, he's great. And then I'm
3: like, oh, shit, this is the guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, okay, okay, okay. And um, how familiar are you with the, uh, the Wonderland murders that that...
4: Pretty close. Uh, I've, I've read the, uh, the factual accounts and I've seen the fictionalization as well.
3: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the real situation was a lot worse than the movie, and the movie was yeah. intense enough.
4: Yeah, yeah, the, the real thing was pretty
3: freaking bad, yeah. Yeah. The uh, I'll give the short version for people who, who may not know. John Holmes, um, who in. They say the character of Eddie of Dirk was based on John Holmes. Not really. Not really, but there's a lot of details. There's some details float, like from John, it. Yeah. yeah. John Holmes became a massive coke addict, and wound up not being able to work anymore because he was impotent. And um, yeah. But he um, was partying a lot with uh, an LA uh, restaurant owner, club owner, slash drug dealer named Eddie Nash, and he also partied a lot with this loose sort of conglomeration of drug dealers called Wonderland Gang who lived on this house in Wonderland Avenue. And Eddie, or, um, Eddie Nash liked having Holmes around because, hey, the, my buddy John Holmes, the porn star, is here. Right. And and John Holmes loved to go anywhere where there was cocaine. <laughs> of course. So the, um, there's a beef between the Wonderland Gang and Eddie Nash. Um, and John Holmes is deep in the hole to the Wonderland Gang for drugs he owes them a ton of money. So they said, well the the way you can get out of this is We're gonna rob and Holmes I this I, some the story's a little hazy there, but they some say that Holmes came up with the idea, we'll rob Eddie Nash.
4: I've always wondered if that was that, that seemed a little suspect, but
3: Well that it it's hard it's hard to say if it was his idea or theirs, but yeah. they knew that they had an end because he was you know, was friends with the guy. So Holmes was over there parties with the guy, leaves the door unlocked, comes back, the gang who is ready to go commit this robbery is all strung out on heroin now. So he has to wait for them to come down. He goes back over there, makes sure the door is, okay, it's still unlocked. Then they go over there without Holmes and um, and not just rob him, but humiliated him. They have him like down on his knees, yeah. crawling to the floor safe and they wind up stealing like over a million dollars worth of stuff. It was a major robbery. But um, Holmes immediately gave himself away by going over there to say, like, hey, how's it going? Because he figured that if if I go over there, it won't look like I was part of this. You know, I'll be just the innocent person coming by to see my friend. And, of course, Eddie Nash immediately saw right through that. (laughs) So he and his his sort of um, bodyguard slash assistant, whose favorite weapon was a lead pipe, Um, pretty much beat the truth out of Holmes pretty quickly and said, okay, we're going to go over there. You're going to unlock the door and we're going to go in and take care of this. Now, Holmes says he didn't do any of the crimes. Nobody, it's not real sure whether he committed any murders or not. He was definitely there, but they killed four people and caused severe brain damage to a fifth. And beat him to death with pipes and hammers. And uh, John Holmes went on the run for a while, but they had his uh, handprint from the wall of this place, um, so they knew he was there. And he wound up going on trial. They couldn't find him guilty because he was obviously coerced. You know, he definitely was coerced into whatever happened. He was in fear of his life. He did some time for um, contempt of court because he would not testify against Eddie Nash. No matter what. For fear of his life. For fear of his life and his family. Yeah. So, um, the police who investigated it said it was worse than the Manson murders as far as just blood everywhere. It said it was just absolutely unbelievable what they saw, so.
4: So, when you get to the final sequence of this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. It could have been
4: worse. <laughs> yeah. Believe me. It's pretty, I know it's pretty rough, but, uh, yeah, could have been a lot worse. Well, um. We of course talked at the beginning about how the fact is that we think this is a great film. One of your favorite films that I was not aware of until now. Mm-hmm. Of course it you know, knowing you with your porn addicted self, I yeah, guess it's
3: not <laughs> <laughs> that, that isn't true. I will say that adult films as a genre are fascinating because it's such a it's one of those things that appeals to me in a way because it's something nobody likes to talk about. And it's kind of like yeah. something that's like, hey, I can know about this that nobody else does. And it's this sort of little subculture, this little tight little group over here, yeah, especially Yeah, that's true. The I mean,
4: there, there's there's more, of it. I mean, we, we, we should point people, if they're very interested in the porn industry, really, there is a wonderful podcast called The Rialto Report, which is phenomenal. Uh,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. I would recommend that to absolutely anybody with any interest in film yeah. at all, um, because even if it's... A person you've never heard of, the stories, it's fantastic. Yes. it
4: it it really is kind of amazing. And the uh, there oftentimes there'll be an interview with uh, some uh, golden age porn star that I I don't even really know anything about, and then you listen to an interview with them for for ninety minutes, and it's. It's so completely fascinating mm-hmm. that uh, it's, 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 and it is wonderful. Rialto Report will also point out the, the weird connections between the adult film industry and the normal film industry, the regular film industry, how many crossovers there are here and there, how one thing led to another and back and forth in ways that are astonishing. And their, their storytelling is top notch.
3: Oh, yeah. I've um, always described it as if NPR did a did a show about the the golden age of porn it would be the rialto report it's fantastic so if you haven't listened to that show definitely check it out there's also a really good um show called a series that's over now called once upon a time in the valley that um i think had some of the folks who were involved with rialto report were involved with it as well but it was the tracy lord story
4: oh okay okay
3: and it's fascinating um, they don't have new interviews with Tracy, but there's plenty of old ones. But they interview everybody you know, that they could possibly find, like her old you know, high school boyfriends on up through, people she worked with in the industry and after. And they sort of try to get to the bottom of what's true and what isn't in her story.
4: One of the great things about Boogie Nights is that they knew immediately, and I'm laying this all at P.T. Anderson's feet, is that he knew if he was going to be making a film on the subject of a certain number of years during the golden age of the porn industry he needed to talk to the people who were there talk to as many people as he could get some real kind of uh, behind the scenes information make sure that what he thought he was uh, seeing as reality was somewhat close and so he uh, he did not only is uh, you know there's nina hartley in the film and of course a couple of other porn actors are scattered about the cast in various little bits bit roles here and there but uh, someone else who was an advisor and actually has an on-screen role as a judge, and we talked about earlier, is Veronica Hart, and we luckily were able to speak to her mainly because Mr. Hudson here uh, stalks porn actresses, as far as I can tell.
3: Well, not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I met uh, I met her at a uh, at Cinema Wasteland years ago, and she was absolutely one of the most wonderful human beings you could ever hope to meet, and we've stayed in touch, and um, when I'm thought we were going to do the show, I reached out to her and said, would you please, you know, maybe give us a few minutes, and she could not have been happier to do it, so we're lucky to have the chance yeah. to talk to her. Well, uh,
4: of course, we, uh, we got lucky to be able to talk to her, and just like us, she's someone who uh, runs off different side roads, and, uh, <laughs> and it's fun to kind of join her on those. Uh, if, if you think we can't uh, stop talking, man, you put
3: another person in the mix, and it, and it gets even weirder. Which makes for a great show because it's like you have stories being told that you didn't expect to get, and, and, and questions good. Yeah. questions being answered that you didn't ask because you didn't think of them, and it's like oh this is this is pretty cool. <laughs> well, uh, Hang Loose.
4: Here is our uh, our interview with Miss Veronica Hart, also known as
3: Jane Hamilton. How did uh, you get the part in Boogie Nights?
1: Let's see, I think it was Ron Jeremy, actually, who called me up and said that um, Paul Thomas Anderson was was looking for me, that he was doing a film. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then uh, I come to find out that Ronnie's been working with uh, with Paul for, gosh, I think about a year and a half, maybe two years. Paul had been tagging around with them to different events. For some reason, I, I hadn't met him before. And... Um, you know, I went in and auditioned for a part, and I got it. It was pretty easy. He just, he, he was, I mean, it was a nice position to be the person being looked for instead of having to go in and persuade somebody that uh, you need to be in their movie.
3: <laughs> so you actually had to audition, though? It wasn't a part he had, like he said, I want you to I play this
1: so. role. I think so. You know what? John, it's been so long. I have, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think whether or not, I did audition. I thought I went in there, and I think I read for the part, or else I just sat down and talked to him. I'm not sure. I can't remember now how, how it happened. Isn't that funny? But I know I got the part.
3: <laughs> that you did. I got and a call, and I turned up. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you did pretty well. It, it's hard to believe, um, and, I, and it really even occurred to me when we started doing the prep for this show, that it's been 25 years.
1: Oh, wow. That makes me feel so old. Thank you, John. I appreciate that.
3: Well, you and me both, kid.
1: Yeah, right? (laughs) 25 years. That is, you know, it's funny. When I first heard the name of the movie, Boogie Nights, I thought, oh, God, what's this going to be about? You know, I thought, boy, this is worse than most of the the name was worse than most of the adult film names um, that I'd worked on. And I, Mm -hmm. Boogie Nights, this is I don't know what this is going to be, you know. And it's it's amazing. It's become quite a, a cult classic. I know I went down to the New Beverly Cinema, and it was being shown there, and um, I saw it. I can't remember. I yeah, I didn't say anything there. I wasn't I wasn't there to speak or anything. I think I just went there to watch it. They asked me to come, and I thought that was that was pretty amazing that they're they're still showing it. That was even like five years ago, I think.
3: Well, well, you're you're going to hear us rant and rave a lot about how much we love the movie when you hear the rest of the show. Yes. Um, did you see the entire script before you um, met no, with I Paul Thomas
1: Anderson? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think I did. I don't think I did at all. I think I knew that. Um, oh boy, I'm trying to remember how how the scene went. With any luck, probably maybe in my archives, I I had the script. I sent all my archives to um, Harvard. I'm in the Schlesinger Library in Harvard. They've got, um, most all of Club 90 now going in there. Uh, Candida Royale was the first one to go in. Gloria Leonard is in there. I'm in there. Annie's, uh, Annie Sprinkle is busy sending her stuff in. And now, um, I believe after that will be Veronica Vera. So all of Club 90's archives will be there at the Schlesinger Library. So. If I did have a script, I was going to say, oh, I could go look and I could probably find the script. But I probably only got sides from the part I was doing, I bet.
3: That is um, absolutely fantastic that all of that stuff is is going to be preserved there at Harvard.
1: Well, you know, I have to give credit to the ladies there um, because they they had um, people on the other side, Andrea Dworkin um, and some other um, anti-porn people in there. Mm -hmm. And um, to their credit they decided to represent the women on the other side that that are involved with it and um and and I'm glad cuz that's more if it's going to go down in history and if people are going to go there for documentaries or research projects or something I think it's a good idea that we're represented uh not just as a bunch of bimbos but of as women who have actually done things and accomplished things in our lives so yeah it's awesome. I'm I'm really, I'm really thrilled about it.
3: Well, you should be. That is awesome, and that's actually something that ties in with the film. Is um, you know, a big one of the themes of the film is Rod and I were just talking about is it's not really about porn movies. It's about a surrogate family, and um, of course, Club 90 became I guess sort of a surrogate family for you after you you had.
1: Oh, those are those are definitely my chosen sisters. You betcha. You betcha. I've yeah, we've been together for. Let's see. Well, we started our basic first meeting was at my um, son, my oldest son's baby shower. That's the first time we kind of all got, you know, we'd seen each other on set. Some of us had worked with each other on different movies, you know, and we were um, going to to the the big premiere. There were premieres at that time, you know, with the big, you know, clean lights and you pull up in your little limo and you get out. I mean, that's kind of what it was when we when I first got into it. And, um, you know, we were always um, saying, giving nice press bites and sound bites and all that. And, but my baby shower was the first time that a bunch of us got together as girls, women, just hanging out, doing regular stuff that everybody does, you know. And it was a baby shower. And that's that's really how we started. And that son is, what, 39 and a half years old now? So <laughs> we're talking <laughs> 40 years ago. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. It's,
3: it's incredible how time goes by. I, I know that when the, uh, you guys just had a reunion out in California and some,
0: uh, some of posted oh, photos was, on
3: right. Facebook and it was just so beautiful to see all of you, all of you guys together and just so, so many happy faces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see a lot of, um, well, I guess you can say we're all survivors. Uh, people, often believe the worst um, about people who uh, engage in adult movie making. And it's nice to see to see how many of us are still okay and still there. I mean, there, there's a lot of gone. There's a lot of people that have passed now. And a lot of people have passed in not so very nice circumstances. So um, we were we're some of the lucky ones, I suppose.
3: Well, I think so. And it sounds like the the fact that you were always there for each other hasn't hasn't hurt that either
1: you know we're really lucky i uh, in our in our group i would say half came from kind of normal regular families and probably half came from pretty unloving homes so i guess there are stereotypes in place for a reason
3: you know mm-hmm yeah, a lot of times they're true. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, on, the, on the Club ninety side, most of us were all very lucky to come from very, very loving, pretty well adjusted middle class homes.
3: Yeah, and it's it's nice to see that so many folks have come, like you said, have come through and are all okay. So it was it was just beautiful to see all those. Everybody is so happy and healthy and together. Mm. Well, you um, bet. And see, I'm going to bounce around a lot because this is just like a nice conversation. Um, so, but I guess we need to get, well, go back to Boogie Nice and, and go in and oh, out. Oh, yes. Um, so what was it like? Um, I, was Julianne Moore the first star of the film that you met?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I think it, it probably was. Well, actually, you know
3: what? You, you did a meeting, or not a meeting, but a set visit. Some of the actors from the film visited the set of one of your films. If that, Is that correct?
1: Oh, you, you bet. Um, God, yeah. I was um, uh, uh, and it's funny because uh, and, it was a film that I was using Ron Jeremy in. It was um, hmm, for VCA, and it was one of the uh, I did a lot of productions with um, Adam and Eve, where we like kind of featured Adam and Eve uh, products in it. It was kind of like movies that centered around products. Um, these are some of the the first movies that I kind of directed and produced and um yeah these guys came to the set and uh, i'm trying to remember who all it was but it was like you know four of the main players actually came and hung out now i didn't get to hang out and schmooze with them i said hi hey guys make yourself at home um please stay behind the cameras and i was in the middle of working so i didn't think too much about it you know and i Again, I really didn't think that this Boogie Nights thing was going to be probably a big deal. I was sure happy when I got to be in it. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm always thankful to get any kind of acting work. I think that is, you know, that's my passion. It's what I love mm-hmm. to do. But, but I didn't, I didn't think it was the big deal that it was. I, I, I didn't have any idea.
3: Yeah, I don't know how you could. So, um, and one thing that you're. That set visit did impress on someone. Mark Wahlberg, in an interview, mission that, and they said, well, "What was it like?" You know, he like, said, "I just saw a bunch of people doing their jobs. It was like a lot of people, you know, that that was their nine to five job. So that's that's what I saw, and I thought that was a pretty interesting." Oh, good,
1: because he saw. As if, so Mark was, was there. there. Is that right, Mark? Was there? Yeah, him and and. Um... Oh, what's the other guy? Riley? Um, yeah, John C. Riley. Um, well, uh, yeah, Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there was another guy, the guy that was in the nightclub scene. I I certainly recognized him. hmm Yeah, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? But I had no clue who anybody was. You know, you, you know, you know how it is, John. You're doing a job, oh, yeah. Well, and at that point, you know, you're, you're happy. I'm 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 always happy to have people on the set and everything as long as they're respectful and everything but also you know you're in the middle of doing a job and they're long hours they're probably twelve or fourteen hour days and you know they probably wondered you know who in the heck this yahoo was <laughs> on in the circus
3: <laughs> so the, the first time you met julian moore i guess was then on the set
1: mm-hmm. so um... it was um... you know in Hollywood movies, they make it turn up god-awful hours Like very early in the morning And, um, you know, we're going into the makeup trailer And I think I'm already there in the makeup uh, station And Julianne comes in And she's one of the people that I did know at that time I mean, and I was well aware of her work And I was, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of hers I think she's she's great um, And um, she walked in and she had her cup of coffee you know and and we nodded to each other and actors are funny people they're very funny people they a lot of them like they want their own head space they don't want to you know they're concentrating on what they're doing or they're prepping or they're god knows what and so sometimes they don't want to be engaged with like i know like rock stars and stuff like i know roadies that if you look at them before they go on stage, you're going to be fired. You don't even meet their eyes. You don't meet their gaze or something. You know, it's this whole thing about they have to be in the mindset. So I was like, you know, I nodded to her too, and I just kept quiet because I didn't, I didn't want to, I wanted to represent um, people from the adult film as being respectful and uh, not assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, not idiots, you know. So I'm, I'm being very quiet and I'm just, you know, sitting there getting my makeup on. She's sitting there getting her makeup on and that was it. We, you know, we nodded to each other, said hello, and then we both did our thing, got our makeup on and I probably was finished first and I, you know, kind of left. And, you know, I just wanted to be respectful and and uh, and not a jerk. And then um, we're standing by, I think we're on the set and I don't know if we're we're watching another scene that had gone on before, or something. I know they were standing there, and we're kind of next to each other. And I don't know who started the conversation first. I think she said something about Annette Haven or something like that, and I kind of piped to him with, "Oh my God, Annette's nuts!" <laughs> and she went, "Oh, ah, blah 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 ah, blah 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 blah." So that then we were off and running. And that—that that was what all, all it took was just somebody to break the ice so that she knew I was okay and I knew she was okay. And then, and then we were on like a house on fire. And she's, she's awesome. I mean, a lot of this stuff I think was based on Annette. And I think they said that uh, some of the stuff was based on me, although in that whole scene with, with, with Amber, um, Julianne was playing the, the character Amber, she was fighting for custody of her children. I never went through that. So it might have been loosely based on me as a character, but I never had to fight for custody of my kids. So that, that, was, that was reported
3: erroneously. <laughs> yeah, Were there any aspects of her character that you do think seemed like you?
1: Well, being probably in that place in that time, in that area, um, becoming a, a star, mm-hmm. I guess. I think there could be similarities with myself. With Annette. I think we're probably more like the girls next door than like, say, the beautiful um, blonde bombshell Seika. Right. You know, and I, I looked I looked I uh, think we looked more approachable. You could probably walk up to us on the street and say hi. You know,
3: well, that's true. That's, in fact, one of the things I have would describe you in in the old days was that you had this twinkle in your eye that no one else had. There was just something about your, that was your screen presence uh-huh. was, seemed to be defined by this. You looked like you were having a good time all the time because always, your eyes just looked always
1: happy. Had, yeah, I was very, are you kidding me, man? I, I, You know, acting. I was acting and getting paid for it and having sex. It was like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, babe. <laughs> all the... All the people I'd been to college with and everything, you know we, we were all in, in in theater together and and nobody that I knew was acting and getting paid for it. I mean they were acting they were doing community theater and stuff like that, but I hadn't seen anybody really break through in a big way, and i boy i I felt like I'd won the lottery. I thought, this is good, this this is real good
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could do worse. That's for sure, um, and and you worked with a lot of really good actors and actresses. I mean, how did you pick your roles at the time? Because looking at your filmography, there aren't a lot of dogs in there. I mean, you your films are all pretty darn solid.
1: Well, you know, I think I think what happened was when I first got in there, um, I realized that hmm, the choices I was making was. Okay, so on a regular job, you can go in and you do your job, and you don't have to worry how it reflects upon females, upon feminism, upon culture, upon society, upon relationships between men and women necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of go in, you do your job, and and, and that's kind of it. And I realized pretty, pretty right then that whatever I would be doing would also be maybe making a statement for the kind of person that I was. So it's very interesting, one of the first jobs I had, I think I was with Eric Edwards, and I think he was sneaking into a window, and I can't remember if it was, I don't, I I really, I'm kind of a little vague on that, but I know he was the first person that I made love to in films, and then he was also my last person on my way out. And um, I knew that I never wanted to represent that it was okay for a woman to be taken without her cassette, that it wasn't okay to be raped. So after I did that first scene, I went, nah, I don't wanna do any of those anymore, you know? And it, it was weird when I did American Desire, cause that one is kind of, you know, I walk into, I want sexual encounters, you know, and then I, I, I'm a real estate agent and I go in and all of a sudden there's a couple of guys there. And, you know, I think as the fantasy and where it was at I thought it was okay. And these are the same things that I dealt with in directing as well. So you have fantasies in your life. But you don't necessarily want them to be lived out. I mean I know a lot of women that get into the adult business because they're able to live their fantasies in a safe environment. The people are tested. Um, you know, they're, they're professionals They're not going to get hurt on set People are there to protect them it's, it's kind of a safe environment So you can go in and you can You get to live your fantasies I mean, how cool is that? And, and being safe And I always felt I was a lot safer Doing what I did in the movies Much more so than if I would have Gone into a bar and, you know Gotten myself picked up
3: Oh yeah. Well, you knew who you were going to be with. You knew their backgrounds, and um, and I guess that helped make you choose like the quality of the films as well. Because it, you, I guess.
1: Yeah, and then and then and then you chose. I chose the you know the kind of content, I guess, and I, and you find out who the good people are to work with and who the people are to stay away from. And that's like with any any job in any any area. You, there's good guys and there's bad guys. That's all.
3: Now, um, with um, the directors you worked with, that one of the things then the well, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to view this question, you know, of course in Boogie Nights, Burt Reynolds is like, I'm gonna make a film, a real film, that people can after they spurt out that joy juice, they're gonna wanna sit in it and see how the film turns out. And you worked with a lot of directors who I think probably had that same attitude you work with some of the best in the business at the time did was that a real attitude that they had or did
1: they were they just uh, you betcha you betcha we were i mean they were trying to make real movies and when i got to direct i was making real movies i mean that's 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 the mindset of people who enjoy movies and acting so you know there's there's all sorts of genres in in um you know, in, um, martial arts movies. You have all this this drama that builds up to a martial arts sequence, right? In a comedy, you have these things that go on and then there's usually a big comedic sequence. And it's the same thing. You just plug in the sex for that. It's just that's kind of just how, how the movies are. Um, God, I got off on a tangent. I'm sorry, John. Bring me back to the question. No, <laughs> oh, you're good. The, Edit that shit out, right well, now. <laughs> that was
3: actually a question that I was was gonna ask. So we're not going quite the order that I was gonna go in, but that's what a conversation is. So so we'll bounce in and out of the movies specifically and then things that would be in the industry and, and it, it'll all tie together, I promise.
1: <laughs> ah. People who really want to make movies. Yes. Yeah. So back then, um, there were there were people who were making movies. And I think, you know, Damiano really started that ball rolling uh, when he did, um, you know, deep. The the, the three movies that got porno from, you know, out of the underground into the open public. Devil and Miss Jones, um, Behind the Green Door, and um, Linda, uh, uh, Deep Throat, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And those, those three movies were like the porno chic movies of the late 70s. And they bought people into the theaters there were lines around the block to see the movies you know johnny carson would talk about them on late night television and it all of a sudden stuff that got whispered about you know the smokers and the different loops and stuff like that that nobody talked about that that men met in garages and played on their eight millimeter film players and stuff like that projectors you know all of a sudden It was being talked about by the society as a whole. We were out. There was one point in our history where we were advertised along with all the regular movies, all of the regular movies, and then there was. I. I, And I'm sure it had to follow the political leanings at the time. Then all of a sudden, we weren't with the regular movies. There There. It seemed to be that there was a notion that extreme. And violent and real, real looking horror was okay, but real sex was not. So the horror movies stayed with the regular movies. And then all of a sudden we got pushed farther and farther back into the newspapers of the time. So that we ended up in the sports section. You know, it was very, it was very interesting kind of a progression. And it was, I don't know who decided that we weren't to be involved in the regular films that we were now pushed to the side. We're in the back of the newspaper. We're in, you know, where the boys go, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, with the sports and that a very, very interesting thing.
3: I never thought about that, that how the marginalization of that was, it was a gradual thing. It wasn't an overnight slamming the door. Because, but it's a- yeah,
1: because oh, go ahead. they used to be right there with everybody else. They used to be right there. And, and we have um, those three movies to thank for that.
3: And I can remember when I was a kid, um hearing Deep Throat jokes on like the Carol Burnett show. And I was, you know, I was little and I didn't know, I didn't know exactly what was going on. But I knew that Deep Throat was a, a movie about something dirty. <laughs> but the yeah, fact that it reached yeah. a little, a little boy in rural Kentucky, you know, tells you just how deeply it, it was in the public consciousness.
1: Yes, it was part of mainstream culture. You know, and that's I guess that's another reason why I really like the inclusion into the Schlesinger Library for women is that um, it acknowledges that the adult movies are part of the culture. As much as we don't want to see it, as much as we put them back into the sports pages and then as much as we just kicked them out of the newspapers altogether, we are a definite part of culture.
3: Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And it's gone so much In the past, and so many people don't know about it, Um, I recently showed Boogie Nights to um, uh, someone who was 22, and she Uh showed it to her boyfriend, and the next time I saw her, she was like, so was that real? Did they actually show, you could like, they made like real movies and showed them in theaters, and that was real? I mean, yeah, that's that was real. It's You know, what you see on, on the internet is not how it used to be.
1: Yeah. I I still production manage for James Avalon every so often, um, like a couple of times a month. And, you know, you get these young actresses, you know, they're 20 or 22 or whatever, you know, and they go, oh, have you been in the business a long time? And when I tell tell them, (laughs) you know, uh, maybe, perhaps, you know, like about 40 years, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very, they're very surprised about the whole thing. They're very yeah it's 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 quite amusing to them but they have no you know they have no idea they have no idea that it was basically illegal when we were doing it it was you know ah this is something that i'm sure you're going to get to it so but that was one of the big problems the adult business had with boogie nights is that it was um chronologically it was it was way out of time and in nobody so- uh, yeah I was gonna say that, and you know I can't anachronism, yeah, it was anachronistically wrong, yeah, they you did not shoot in the valley at the time frame that they were you because know, right, all right, so up until a certain point, I think it was nineteen eighty I want to say eighty seven or eighty nine you guys can check me on this, Dave Friedman got past okay before before that time, they considered um pornography as prostitution. They considered it an act of prostitution, people having sex for money. And Dave Friedman was, um, was very important in pushing the law through that adult movies were not prostitution. They were a creative art because both people engaging in the sexual act were being compensated and there were scripts and you know it was a whole uh, a whole creative process with people in the background and you know and and this was more so at in the early 70s i mean sorry the late 70s than ever because we were shooting on film then Mm -hmm. there was at, at first there was no video if you can believe that, I guess there was video, it just wasn't very prevalent in, in movie making. It was all film. So the people that were actually making films at that time were had to be qualified technicians. At that time, if you didn't have the right lighting and you didn't uh, put in the film correctly in the camera, you didn't have the right exposure, you got no image. You were, you were totally screwed. So it was, there was a real art and it was people who were really interested in films that were making these films. There became a whole shift later on when it all went to video. You know, then any cocaine cowboy who had a few bucks could get the equipment and do, and do it. But before that time, there were creative artists involved. Also, you know, you, we, were, we were talking about making them real movies. And, you know, I have to say that you would have 15 minutes of setup. For maybe a five minute sex scene And we had We had big scripts I mean they were I'm trying to think of what roommates Or what one of those scripts were And they've got to be I don't know Anywhere probably from 60 to 90 pages of script They were were movies With sex in them As opposed to sex movies With a little bit of connecting dialogue
3: Right, it wasn't just a connection Like well how can we get the pizza man to this girl's place, and then <laughs> when can her roommate yeah. show up? There was an actual story there,
1: right, right. And it, you know, and it, and and we continued to try and make those movies. I mean, when I was when I was directing and producing, you tried to make them, and you, and you had to make them because we were sell, selling cable versions of them. I I, I became the uh, penis police because <laughs> you know, a cable, seriously, on a cable version. You know, you could show a woman naked, but you couldn't show her with her legs splayed. Um, you could show a man's penis, but it was that forty-five degree rule. It couldn't be over like forty-five degrees, you know, or or it, it had to be. It, it couldn't be sticking out. It, it had to. It could be. It could be getting there, but it couldn't be fully like. Mm-hmm. So you would go through and you would you would choose the the shots that you had. And you would have to make sure that you had enough coverage and you had enough story to make a version where a cable movie could be sold because that was part of the business at that time. So, yeah, we were always, at least the people that I worked with and what I was doing, we were always involved in stories. I wasn't interested in loops. wasn't interested in, in going in and just screwing somebody and, and getting out. that, that no, no calling to me. You know. I didn't, do, I didn't do the photo shoots. I didn't do any of that stuff because I, I was interested in the acting. And, and, I'll, and a lot of people were luckily at that time. Yeah. John, I, I never would have been able to get in this business today. I would have never made it.
3: And I can believe it. And that goes right back to what I was asking earlier because it, you can tell there was a lot of care involved with the films that you were in. Between the the parts that you chose and the directors you worked with, what was the uh, what was a typical shooting schedule like on? But not only just in the golden years, but in when you were directing, to show how things changed. How long would it take? Say a film like Roommates. How long did it well, take to shoot that?
1: Gosh, I'm wondering how long we did have for Roommates. Roommates was a pretty pretty long film. That was with Chuck Vincent. I did over 22 films with Chuck Vincent. I adored him. He was so good I too. Him.
3: I was gonna ask about his directing style, but I think you're about to cover that too. He was he was such uh, a good director.
1: He was such he, he came from theater too. I came from theater, he came from theater. He was just he was a doll and he he ran it like a business. He was very okay, so here's an interesting thing. He is very organized, had lots of scripts, had lots of planning, had lots of people, had lots of you know, it was run like a business. And perhaps sometimes maybe the heat might have been lacking. And then you have other directors. I think it's Warren Evans comes to mind. (laughs) I I believe that's a screen name that were a little more, more, you know, you go in and you kind of ad lib some of it. A lot of it was scripted, but a lot of it was just like a little bit looser. Mm -hmm. And the sex was hotter. So I'm not sure how that works out. I think I, I figured out. As far as directing goes, like, when I first started out, you did not want to work for me. Oh, my God. I was horrible. If it wasn't the sex I wanted to see, I'd stop it. I'd reposition you. I'd put you in this way or that way because I had this idea of how it had to be. You know, I was creating art. And I was a horrible person, a horrible director to work with. I had one of my actors go, oh, this is ridiculous, and just about walk off the set. And I didn't get it then. And, you know, it's only taken me, what, 40 years of being in the business that I see that once you get the sex started, the quieter you can be and the more you can butt out, the better. I still have a problem with people who develop characters and it's this one kind of character and one kind of relationship up to the time when they start having sex. And then the sex that follows does not follow the characters. It's still, It's still really pisses me off you know what i mean it's like there's sometimes like if, if if people are really passionate involved and in, and in love a lot of times they glom together and they have sex in one position and it's intense and and that's all it is mm-hmm. but again you're in a business you have to satisfy a lot of people and then you get into that rut of having the formulae shots the up and over the under the side you know and then it and then it um it becomes predictable which kind of spurred off that whole amateur gonzo movement you know as a counteracting right. to to that that um predictable porn that you would always see and then you get the amateur stuff where it, it appears to be fresher it's interesting it's, it, Boy John, I've been thinking about this stuff a long time way too long <laughs>
3: <laughs> Well I've been accused of thinking about it too much too so, <laughs> 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 so uh, we're, we're, we're together there <laughs> and it, uh, but it does weird. sound like that you have still have the same passion as a director now that directors had then how long like say a and I'm going to choose probably one of your most elaborate films that you directed, but the Misty Beethoven musical. How long did it take to shoot that thing?
1: We did that little sucker in three days and they filmed the original Misty Beethoven. And I don't know, a couple of weeks or something. And they actually went over to Europe. That was one of Gloria Leonard's first movies. And she said she got to fly to Europe to do it. I mean, you know, at the beginning they were experimenting to see if, If movies, if the adult movies could be just regular movies with sex in them. That is what I always wanted to do. I always wanted. I had this burning passion to just make regular movies. And when you see the sex scene kind of, you know, fade out or something like that, I just wanted it to be a little bit more explicit. I just wanted to to do that. And then there were the Wachowskis, Lana Wachowski. Oh, my God with Sensate and, and um, some projects she's worked on, she just fucking blows my mind. I saw her stuff and I saw some other stuff and I went, wait, I don't have to do this anymore. This does not have to be a burning passion of mine. There are people that are actually making movies that have good acting in them and that have sexual content and that are beautiful, beautiful movies so, uh Lana, I thank you. You've relieved me from my from my need to make uh any more adult movies <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you, you might still catch the bug again at some point.
1: I don't know. I don't know john i'm back I'm back working with uh uh James Avalon again. um I always work with james Avalon jim Malibu um and a few other people as their uh production managers. James and I have been working together for. Gosh, we started. Uh, he was a, a reporter and a photographer for Adam Film World back in the late '70s, and I think he was one. He did one of my first interviews. I think uh, I was actually in the first issue of AVN when it was a, a magazine. I don't know. If, I don't even think it's a magazine anymore. I think it's all online. I don't know, but I was actually the first interview of a of a an adult actress that they ever had. That's amazing. And, uh, isn't, that, isn't that funny? But um, I've been working, you know, I've kind of gone in and out. I didn't work much at all in the past four years. But um, I uh, have a piece of land here in Los Angeles, and I'd love to build a house. So uh, I'm back working again.
3: <laughs> making some money.
1: <laughs> making a few bucks and and trying very hard to do the um Regular acting. So if anybody out there wants to hire me, I did get back into the union. So it is going to have to be a union project, but you can do it. They have low-budget and ultra-low-budget contracts. Um, They have web series and stuff like that. So you can do it, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg, but it will involve a lot of paperwork. I know uh, when I produced um, Parasomnia, the paperwork involved for SAG was... Pretty intense, pretty intense.
3: Yeah, I need to get a copy of that movie, by the way. And I'm not saying you need to send me one, but I was just. <laughs> I
1: don't even have one, John. I don't even have one. I gotta, I gotta get one myself. Oh, you don't oh, have you know any? Wanna... No, man. Is I gotta? I have to. I have to. I have to get one from Bill. I haven't talked to Bill in a little while now. Bill Malone, mm-hmm. really great director. I mean, it is. It is the best movie that I've ever been involved in. But also, we all lost our shirts on that that was the the beginning of me having a real financial difficulty in the end of the 2010s yeah yeah that was a really 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 tough time but it was best movie and he was, he's amazing He's, yeah. uh, he's a he's real artist. Yeah,
3: I've actually seen some of his other films, and and I really like his work. So I, I need to, I do need to track down a right. copy of that one.
1: Yeah, you do, you do. I'll I'll, I'll um I'll try and get a, a copy for you. Okay. Okay, and I'll start
3: looking for copies. Oh, for you me. know
1: what you, you know what you can do? Can you can you get me a copy of um? So I used to have a copy of Boogie Nights, and I gave it away because I had it on VHS or something. But even when you transfer VHS to digital, it loses something, and. I'm trying to, you know, I've got old reels, but they're all VHS, and when I transfer them digitally, they really look uh, older than they should. Oh, yeah. If you have any good copies of the Boogie Nights scene, I don't know if you, you have a way to put it digitally, but I'd love it, because I'm trying to put together new reels, you know. And it's terrible right now. Besides background work that I've been doing, I don't have any new new stuff on me, you know. All the all the new stuff since I started back in is like where I'm actually acting and moving and stuff like that and not being just movable furniture <laughs> is uh, is adult. so I, I'm gonna put some of that stuff in, but it would be nice to be able to have some good copies of my old stuff.
3: Well, I will talk to um my co-host here <laughs> my I'll, it's actually his show uh... but I'll, since I'm doing all the work tonight, I'll just call <laughs> him my sidekick. Hey. And see if he can get you a digital copy of your scene from Boogie Nights, because I'm sure. I would, a, huh? And if not, I can I can mail you um, a copy of the DVD or a Blu-ray.
1: Okay, yeah, and I can buy one too. I'm just being lazy. We're well, just being lazy. i I, like I bought so I bought some already, but yeah, I gave them away. You know, when people ask you for stuff, you just go, "Oh, here, take this." And most of my movies that I've made, I don't even have copies of. Isn't that crazy? And you can't get them anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you have to. You have to go. um, It VCA, which has all of my stuff, got sold to um, Hustler. And to get copies of my VCA movies, I have to order fifty DVDs at a time, and that's that's not going to happen. You know, isn't that funny? It's interesting. That's
3: just not right. You should should have a copy of that. And that actually is a question I was going to ask you. How does it feel now? Because you're work is starting to get some actual respect when a company like say vinegar syndrome puts in a high end release of one of your films. How does that feel? Do you feel like there's some sort of a vindication there?
1: I think, I think it's, I I think it's nice, John, but it's, it's a reason why I want to build instead of um, make more movies. I'd Okay. So I'd rather spend my time acting and on a situation when you're acting, you have to, to um, satisfy two people. You have to satisfy yourself and the director, right? That's that's all you have to worry about when you act. And you can just go into that character and you just got to have a fucking blast, man. It's so fun. If you do anything else, like produce, direct, or something you're worried about over time, did this person show up? Are they, are they going to be here? Do we have to recast this? Do we have to redo this? Are we going to... Um, uh, what time do we have the location to? Did we get the uh, permits? Did we get all, you know? I really like the ease of helping somebody else's vision come to life. I really want to start working on that. I've done, I've made so many movies. I've directed so many movies. My vision is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let me help somebody else bring their vision to it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It does. And.
3: and- hoping there's some work out there for you because you're pretty darn good and, and there's plenty of proof of that
1: out there for I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so and I, and I think so. I, I thought by the time I was 60 if I hadn't like made it made it that I would give it up and then I realized I'm, I'm 65 now and then I realized I haven't been working my craft for years for, for years. And I'm now at a point where I can can do that. I can devote my energy. I don't have to run a company. I don't have to, you know. I, I am going to work for people just to get to keep a cash flow coming in, but I I don't have to do that. I can actually go for my passion. If not now, when? Mm-hmm. That's what I say. So you know, and it's interesting because there's not a lot of gals my age that are still out there pushing it so so i hope to be i don't know how old was olympia dukakis when she won her um academy award she was somebody i didn't i I, was she wasn't even in my radar when she she won she was somebody who was older who came in who was an unknown so i'm you know i've got i've got high hopes john got high hopes for for life in the future
3: (laughs) well i i think it i think it odds are good because you're definitely very you're
1: hard-headed in the best way oh boy i got some people that would disagree with you but yes (laughs) i'd love to hear it that's why we're we're pals we're friends
3: (laughs) you were talking about how some of the actors were upset because the film was chronologically wrong were there any other issues that or were yeah. some reactions from other performers yeah. of the
1: film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Burt, uh, I think it's Bert Reynolds when he goes in the, what's a Burt Reynolds, I think so, when he goes in the limo and picks people off the street and there's that that violent altercation, um, Jamie Gillis was particularly pissed because he was, he did that, he did that thing. And they, I think that's where Paul got it from. And there was never any violence. It was always very consensual, and people were like, "Oh my God, I get to make love to this beautiful lady. Cool." There was never any violence involved, so people in our business had bunches of problem with the violence because that's not what our business is about. I maybe it's somewhere, but it's not mainstream. Mm-hmm. If it, you know, Burt Reynolds was portraying a guy who was mainstream and he was in a, you know, he was a, a main adult movie maker. He wouldn't have been involved in violence. He wouldn't have been. I mean, you know, obviously Johnny Wad had that whole thing. He, he'd been in prison. He would was, a, you know, an addict. So there was that whole thing. And so they, people couldn't refute that. But they could definitely get upset at the fact of the Burt Reynolds character and the, the whole violence that ensued in the you know car pulling up and asking a guy if he'd like to come in and and be with a gal and and the violence that ensued. That really was upsetting. People were upset about the the um, anachronism in um, uh, you know the time and and the shooting because you couldn't shoot in the valley then. As a we spoke about this before that was considered um, prostitution, you know, and Dave Friedman is the guy that turned it around and made it a, a, a creative art. It was art where both parties were being paid. It was no longer prostitution. But before that, if you shot anywhere outside of New York city or outside of San Francisco, you were risking losing your equipment and losing your film. And that was it. I mean, that, you know, that's how kind of underground we had to be. And, 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 and if you were stupid in San Francisco or New York, if you were running around the streets naked, of course you'd get busted. But, you know, if you kept it inside and indoors, uh, the cops had much better things to do than to bust you for pornography.
3: Did you get any blowback from any of the other performers from being in the film was anybody upset with you from being in the movie at all
1: No No not at all and you know I was I was um I was proud to be in it I mean Nina had a much Nina Hartley had a much bigger part and she was so instrumental in the story she was amazing But um Paul was always very kind to me and he, he said that he would he considered me a real actress and that he would never cast me as a stripper or a prostitute or a porn star he just he just didn't see me as that he saw me as a real actress doing real parts and so. you absolutely
3: were I mean in your scene I mean you're in there not only with Julianne Moore but with Jack Riley from Bob Newhart which that must have been kind of a kick for you because you grew up watching I'm sure the Bob Newhart show too so was that was that fun just to be on the set with him?
1: To be on the set with, with, who? Uh, with
3: Jack Riley. You remember he was in the on the Bob Newhart show. He played the attorney who represented Julianne Moore's ex husband.
1: I didn't even realize that. I didn't. I didn't know who I was acting with. I had no clue. I only knew Julianne. The guy who was the husband of Julianne, he's huge in LA. There's a. Uh, he was in. I think. I think X, something like that. Yeah, the band X. Yeah, he was John Doe. He was huge. I didn't even know who he was. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't. Not until right now did I know that that gentleman was in the Bob Newhart show. I'm sorry, (laughs) I did not know. You just enlightened me. I had no clue. Boy, that's a clueless boy. Well, I hate a, to say clueless bimbo, but boy, it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, no.
3: <laughs> it sounds like somebody who did a job 25 years
1: ago. Oh <laughs> damn. No, yeah, X is a great
3: band, by the way. If you like, if you like the punk rock that the kids like, <laughs> the rock and/or roll. The rock and or roll, the X.
1: Oh, that's that's the two types of music, right? I like country and western, right? And western, (laughs) the rock
3: and the roll,
1: the rock and the roll. I've been accused of liking the rock and the roll a little bit,
3: a little bit. You um, we back to the character of um, Amber Waves. Laura actually had thought of this question, and and I thought. and it's a, it's a kind of question that only a woman would, would think of. Um, you obviously, being a mother is very important. Were you ever like the Amber Waves character? Were you ever like a mother figure, either in the old days or on your newer sets?
1: What do you mean a mother figure? Did Which, that what do you
3: mean by side, Like the mothering side of you, did that come out with younger actresses in the old days or in like the 90s when you were directing it all? Like
1: well, let's see. Let's see. What what kind of, like, I'm a production manager. You know, I coach the girls. I feed them. I Yeah. Mother would be, yep, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm very yeah I mean, I've had so many porno daughters and porno sons. It's not even funny, you know. I mean, Riley Reed was my my porno daughter. Uh, James Dean um, was my porno son. I mean, you know, i i, I was the uh, I was the older person on set back then when they were first coming up, and now mm-hmm. that's years ago. You know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I have a I have a very. Yeah, I have a very maternal side. I like to take care of things. It's like it's like you, John, you have animals. I have animals. That's a nurturing, caring thing. Um you're very close with your the children that you have from, mm-hmm. you know, from marriages and things like that. And I'm it's the same with me. I mean, I'm completely devoted to my family. I'm completely devoted to my family in Las Vegas. My uh, sisters and brother And you know, we have different um, Political views And uh, we've never let that Get in the way of us Still loving each other It's really important It's really important Yeah, yeah. I'm a mama I'm a, I'm, I think I'm a take care of And um, yeah I like to take care of things I like to grow things I like to nurture things yeah and then that's why we that's why we create that's why we make things is we you know we want we want to be constructive we want to build we want to make ah which builds me too that's why I want to put my energies in as opposed to directing. I like to put them into making things, so that's why I went back to to working so I can build something on this land that my son and I have bought um I think. You know, I was looking at, I was online, I was looking at a beautiful piece of furniture. It was 500 years old. And I thought, look at that. There's a piece of art that's actually useful and that gives people some kind of enjoyment, is of use to people. And that's why I want to build. I want to build something beautiful that can last for 100 or 200 years because as I was Telling you before, most of the movies I've been in, or most of the movies that I've made, you can't even get anymore. I can't even get, you know. But you have you have art that is physical and that can house people or hold people or give them, you know, give their families life. I think that's really, really important. I'm sorry I got off on that diatribe, but that's 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 what I'm concentrating on these days.
3: Well, uh I. that's not a diatribe at all. It's that that kind of positivity positivity is in, is contagious, and it's hard not to have it burst out of you, especially when you're talking about like creating and mothering.
1: Right, right. That's what that's what I and that's what I that's what I think. I the stuff that we make is so, uh, well, I would say a lot of the adult stuff that's being made these days is completely disposable. I don't know how how, how much of what's being made right now. Uh, you're going to be able to see in 15 or 20 years, let alone 40 years later, mm-hmm. do you know. But if you do make a house that's that's substantial, it can house people for a couple of hundred years if it's built against earthquakes and floods and fires and stuff like that. That weird. Anyway.
3: Yeah, that's something that'll last. You're exactly right.
1: Yeah, it can be art and it can be beautiful and it can be functional, functioning art. I think useful art is, is kind of of where I see, and 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 the stuff that maybe not so useful. I'd I'd like to be hired by other people <laughs> to <laughs> act in their vision and help them make their vision come to life. Okay, so what else? What else about Boogie Nights? What else do we have, John? Do you
3: remember giving Julianne Moore advice about her character, about her the character about her character of Amber Waves? Do you remember giving her any advice about that? She says that um, during the courtroom scene, you explained to her off-camera everything about her character that she needed to know to play it. So you were actually pretty instrumental in, in making this work for her.
1: Um, where do we, Where do you find this information out, John?
3: <laughs> oh, I, I got a lot of time on my hands.
1: <laughs> oh my God, you've enlightened me. You know, you're teaching me more about the movie than I ever knew. I, I love you, You're you're Aww. amazing.
3: Well, thank you. I love you, too. You're awesome. Um, <laughs> she, um, it was an, an interview, of just doing research for this show, I wanted to be prepared, but she mentioned that um, during, the, I guess, the camera setups, John Doe may have been the one who said something like, oh, it would be terrible to, you know, how could this woman get into this, you know, and you said, well, it could be a situation where she needed some money and she started this career off and got pulled in but she needed to feed her family and then the next thing you know there's problems with her husband and things start to go wrong but it's too late to get out because that's what she's doing and she said that that explanation totally was the basis for her entire character
1: awesome I'm so happy I'm so happy that if anything I could say would help her because I would help her in a any way that I ever could she was she was so down to earth John she was so nice she was so lovely she was nice at the at the the crew party you know for the screening for the crew party and then and Magnolia she was still nice again she's just a good person she's a nice person if I could ever help her that made me feel so good thank you John if I can help somebody that's that's really cool thank you man
3: oh well you're you're (laughs) here I didn't know that you're very Thank welcome. You. If I can dig up the video that I saw that, um I'll send that to you. It, it there can't be it's, too many.
1: That is that is that is really lovely. That is that is just that's
3: Yeah, I'll try and find it. Um
1: I've just... okay, that that oh, that's just so good. Oh, you, made, then, you made my week, baby. <laughs> oh, good.
3: <laughs> well, one last question, then I'm going to turn over to this other clown here. Hey. Um speaking of Magnolia did you notice any difference um, by that point? Of course, Paul Thomas Anderson had boogie nights and all that success under his belt. Was there yeah. any difference in just his style on the set, and his directorial style during the time uh, that you were there on that film?
1: No, Paul was Paul was all, uh, awesome. I mean, it's funny in Magnolia. It was so it was so adorable that he would even put me in the movie. My name in the credits is on screen longer than my face is in the movie. So, <laughs> it was just. <laughs> He was just awesome, you know. I'm such a I'm such a fan of his. Um, you know, I There will be blood was such a incredible character study and it's one of those tough fucking movies to watch cuz the guy is so horrible, you know, but damn, he's amazing. And then um did you did you see Licorice Pizza? You know, I haven't seen that one yet. That and it's
3: it played at our art house theater. And I wasn't able to make it there. And I haven't been able to buy the Blu-ray yet to see it. Have you seen it?
1: Yes. It's it's interesting because it's such a, it's a small, intimate movie. And I have to believe it's about him. I have to believe that he's intimately connected to it. I mean, I know, you know, I know he adores female singers. When when I got to work with him, I know that he was... um, Romantically involved with Fiona Apple, and then I know that he's, you know, romantically involved with uh, Maya Rudolph, who's his baby mama, and um, you know, and then there's of course the lovely gal from Haim that's in Licorice Pizza. So I I think all these um, things play into his his heart and his psyche, and I think it has to be a movie about him. I haven't talked to him in years, but I'd like to talk to him about that because I think I think it's really a, a personal, intimate movie. Yeah, it, it was really interesting.
3: I'm going to keep that in mind when I see it. I, I, I do need to order. I'm, I'm so cheap, I wait for a movie to go on sale on Amazon before I'll <laughs> buy it. Well,
1: so, but- of course, we all do. Come on, come on, come on with your bad self. Now you said you don't
3: have the. Uh, do you have the the Blu-rays that Vinegar Syndrome's done of like indecent exposure? And um, I know they've got Pandora's Mirror coming out. Do you have? Do they send you copies of any of those?
1: Who? who, who uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. Indecent uh, they, when they exposure? You,
3: Yeah, when they put like indecent exposure well, out on Blu-ray, and I know they've got Pandora's Mirror coming out. Do you get copies of those
1: at all? Well, I know that um, Joe. Yeah, I can call up. Gee, what is this? Uh, I don't. I don't know which is his uh, real name and which is his stage name. The gentleman who runs Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah, Joe.
3: I, is, I don't know his
1: stage name either. I don't know which one's which is which. I think it's. I. I, I don't know. I think it's Joe. Joe anyway, Rubin. Um, yeah, Joe Rubin. Uh, he's 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 a doll, and um, he's he's been very good to me. He's has sent me stuff in the past, but in the past he hasn't had much of my stuff. I think he had Afternoon Delights, and that was about it. And then um, I know that he's doing more. I just finished a um, uh, what do you call it? The behind the scenes or the the extras on a DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did. Oh, I just worked with Casey Scott. Which movie did we do? Was it Pandora's Mirror? It was Pandora's Mirror. Thank you so much, John. <laughs> <laughs> You remember so much more about my life than I do. Um, yeah, well, I'm certainly a yeah. virgin
3: to stalker territory, probably. Oh, <laughs>
1: that's okay. You can stalk all you want, man. You got a good gal. I I, I feel very safe. No, <laughs> I'm trying yeah, to so,
3: be prepared when I was going to ask you questions. I wanted to actually know what I was talking about. Where,
1: so. Yeah, I just I just did that with them. And I think we're going to do, is, uh, oh, I don't know if it's Amanda by Night they just got the rights to. But anyway, he just he just uh, texted me and said are you are you up for doing that and I'm like, bring it on, baby bring it on so that's okay. if they have if they have some of those, I probably should get it I know I did have some um some videos that I transferred digitally I got a little um thing that transferred it digitally when I sent um copies of the stuff to um schlesinger
0: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah i Unfortunately, my stuff is kind of spread far and yon right now. You know, you live in
3: like two or three different places and bounce around a lot. So,
1: yeah. 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 That's all right. That's
3: all right. It's a If it's a happy life, then it's a good life. No matter where your stuff is, if you're happy where you are, then that's
1: home. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. (laughs) My hands are clapping. Yeah. Yeah you know life's very funny john it's it's good it's bad it's up it's down and it's just the way it is it's and it's the way it is for everybody i don't care how much money you have or how famous or how not famous you are i think we all struggle and it's just uh, it's just different parameters just different parameters you know people with lots of money and lots of property still have problems people with no money and no property have problems it's not always easy but it's um I'm still glad I'm here.
3: <laughs> and, and we are too. And to sound Aww. a little less scary, they actually just announced Pandora's Mirror, so that's how I knew about that one. They, oh, good. I think, about a week ago they announced that that was coming right. next month. So,
1: yeah, yeah. But Amanda by night yeah. is
3: a scoop if that's the one that they're doing. That's actually, I'll tell you on the uh, like Vinegar Syndrome's Facebook group. That's one of the most requested titles that people want them to do. So, if that's the one they're doing, Pandora's Mirror. Like, uh, well, um, Amanda. Amanda by
1: yeah, Amanda was a great movie. Uh, excuse me. I mean, that's kind of really rude to say if you're in it, but I uh, that was I really counted that as a great movie. I mean, wow. you know, it felt like uh, you know they, we had really good people in it, and it was a really good story. I th- I thought, yeah, I really like that one. I oh, really that was good. It. That was
3: actually the first film of yours that I saw. A buddy of mine in high school had seen it. And um, was telling me about it, and he says, Man, if they took the fucking out, it'd be a great Kojak.
1: <laughs> right, right. It was kind of a Klupe story at that time, you know, because yeah. Jake Fonda had just done Klupe. And uh, yeah, it was kind of one of those. Yeah. It,
3: it was. It was a really good a good story. And, um, and I remember like the juxtaposition. There's a scene where the, the father brings his son to you to uh, give the kids virginity. And you're like very wow. gentle and soft with him and then it cuts to the scene where I think it was Lisa DeLeo and Samantha Fox are doing like a dominatrix scene and they're like treating yeah. like a dog and it cuts back and forth and it's like that's pretty smart it's pretty smart filmmaking there.
1: Yeah. It was really good. Uh Harold Lyme was the um and I and I was actually um he and I were after we worked together we were we were lovers for quite a while. Um it was a and, and we we stayed friends forever yeah i was I, I always loved him he he came from a um i think it was his father that was a writer, so his father had been a writer before him, and he really cared about story and um before me, he did uh desires within young girls, which i think and um ecstasy girls too i mm-hmm. think he did both of those and uh, yeah he was he was a he was a lovely, lovely, lovely man. I really, really I, I loved him, and I also loved his movies. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The, all all three of the ones you mentioned are all actually any of those. I would point you to this is a good movie. Yeah. yeah. A,
1: and I did, I did center spread girls with him. I did uh, society affairs. I'm trying to think of what else I did with uh, with Harold. Oh, I forgot mm-hmm. he did
3: Center Square Girls. That's a fun yeah. one. That's the one yeah. that I always say was like the love boat of adult films because everybody is in that movie.
1: Everybody. That was interesting. Being in the dressing room there, John, boy. Whew. Yeah, because you there had Annette Haber and
3: some... Ray Cousteau in there.
1: Oh, boy, the did they time. love each other? Not. <laughs> 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 they were big fans not of each other. Yeah, that was like, that was the the dueling egos. It's like, it's like. Girls, let's all get over ourselves. We're all in this together. We're just we're just trying to make a movie here. That was really interesting. Yeah, first time, first time, and last time I ever met Desiree. She she's you know I love Annette, and and Desiree seemed great too. So you know Desiree very quiet, kind of a studious kind of more more of a type of a girl to herself. Mm-hmm. You know, and Annette was was pretty Annette's Annette. She's a she's a force. Yeah. Yeah. You should work
3: for the UN. You're a diplomat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're all lovely. We're you know, there's a lot of lovely ladies. Candy Barber was the one I was was thinking about that had such a sad demise. Candy. I, I I'd been in movies with Candy before and, you know, saw her around and everything and she ended up, you know, dead on the streets in San Francisco and I don't think anybody knew about it. Annie Sprinkle lives there. She didn't know Candy was on the streets, you know, being homeless. She had she had no idea.
3: Yeah, that was just horrible story.
1: It's a very it's a very tough story. It's, I guess we just kind of epitomize life all the all the aspects of it. Yeah, it's just so sad. hmm So sad.
3: Are there any misconceptions about adult film in general that you would like to clear up? If there's anything that you think, most
1: jeez, people you know. About? There's so, I always say I like to mystify and demystify. You know, there's so many things they have right and so many things they have wrong. And I guess the the big problem comes when people outside of our business try to portray what the business is. And it just, it just, it, it chafes you a little. It's like, you guys don't know. You don't get it. Just stop, stop, stop talking about stuff you don't know about, you know. And then there are other people who get it. You know, right on the head. I think um, Paul Thomas Anderson really got it on the head when he expressed that it was a family. Um, you know, there's something a bit different in all of us who decided to go down that line. We're all a bit different in that we decided to defy society for one reason or another and to allow ourselves be filmed doing things that most people didn't want to be filmed doing now it's much much different nowadays with you get all these sex tapes you get you know selfies you get all this all this other stuff is going on back then there wasn't any of that so when you allowed yourself to be filmed in an intimate position it was it was quite quite different than what most people would allow themselves to you know allow to happen to them so I think there, there's something that made us different. Um, that's all I can say is we we were different, and I think we banded together. There were fewer of us back then, believe mm-hmm. me, a lot fewer. And we did band together as a family, and we did know each other. And it was a little tribe, you know, and you did know who you'd like to work with and who you didn't like to work with. Um, and now... It's a big business. There's so many agents with so many people with so many things being shot. I had shot 13 movies in one year and they told me that I had ruined my career, that I completely overexposed. I like this. this is every pun intended, I had overexposed myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and now a gal can easily work on 13 different projects probably more like 26 projects a month if she's really popular. Do you know what I mean? The, the business has changed so much. So much. But back then, you know, 13 movies in a year was big time. And now very easy for a Gal to be booked on 13 different projects in a month. Oh,
3: totally different days. Different.
1: different days, yeah.
3: Well, I am going to turn you over to Rod here. Thank, Thank you again, though. This is it is always just so sweet to talk to you, and um yeah so
1: I, I, I love you. I love you. I think you're I think you're a great guy, and you know since since we met we've we've always gotten along. It's been great. Thank yes, you th-
3: I totally agree. um I'm, We're going to have to get out to California sometime or Las Vegas, whichever place you're you're laying your head at that
1: point, and we're going to have to hang out with you yeah. mostly mostly l a mostly l a these days. Well, we would prefer that anyway, so. Yeah, you got to come out and see my land. And maybe by the time you make it out, I'll actually have something built on it. Well, we'll do it,
3: and you'll get out to our place sometime. I know, Laura. I do, always, I
1: want like to do that, man.
3: She's always like, do you think she'd want to go to yoga with me? And Do you think she'd want to do this?
1: <laughs> yes, I would. Yes, I would.
3: <laughs> I'm sure you would. Well, thanks again. I'm going to turn you over to Rod here, and um, I will talk to you again soon.
1: Okay, sounds good. righty,
3: bye.
4: I have just a couple of uh, – well, I have a couple of specific questions uh, and then kind of a general one that I, I, I don't know if uh, – I, I don't know how much this kind of appeals to you in a weird way. But I was, I was interested in knowing – you started to get opportunities of a sort. To kind of uh, do some mainstream films, and that didn't always happen for uh, adult actors, people working in the adult industry. Uh, do you do you remember how what were the, what were those how were those opportunities presented to you, and how often were you able to take them up on them if they were often?
1: I'm trying to think of the mainstream stuff that I did. Oh, I'm thinking uh, about the, well, the mid '80s. Well, well. So Paul Thomas Anderson, he was, he was, you know, he kind of let Ron Jeremy know that he wanted me. And so Ronnie knew how to get in touch with me. So Ronnie brought me into that. Um, let's see. Um, well, I'm thinking back in the 80s, 80, early uh,
4: earlier in your career, I'm curious how things like uh, Student Affairs in 87 and uh, Death Mask in 84. Oh, uh,
1: Student Affairs was Chuck Vincent, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that was a Chuck Vincent movies. I did all of whenever Chuck had a, a part that he didn't know what to do with, he'd always say, ah, give it to Hamilton. She'll do something with it. You know? <laughs> so it's like whenever there was like this little part that it was like, so he just threw it in. I remember I did, um, oh, with Wingshauser and Linda Blair. Bedroom Eyes 2, I think it is, you know?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And um, that was that was really fun. But I was like, uh, when I was killing the guy, I think my, excuse me, my breasts were out. You know, I had like an open top. My breasts were out. And, and Linda made some kind of comment about she didn't want to work with a lady with her breasts out or something. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Huh. It's really weird. Because Linda is like the best advocate for pets she saved so many pets she saved so many animals i mean yeah. we're so completely on the same the same track but unfortunately we didn't have a i got to work with wings more than linda she was she was she didn't want to be on screen with me when my boobs were out well that's that
4: that's odd hmm. and
1: then, yeah
4: um where well, I'm were just, we <laughs> Oh, i'm just i'm just curious about uh, i mean i know this is long ago and if someone were to ask this question of me oh, 80s, to try to remember yeah. something in you know ah, 1984.
1: So the death mask that was that was so cool that that movie. I got to be with um uh, these guys were just uh fans of mine and they were doing this movie and it was a Farley Granger comeback movie. Right. Death mask and they were so kind enough to um you know ask me to be in their movie and I was thrilled to death about it i got to do a scene with farley granger and it was awesome and um unfortunately that that, that movie didn't seem to go anywhere you know but at that yeah. I was, i've had you know what i've been so lucky i've had so many uh different great movies and different shots at it it was really great when i when i did i did uh, six feet under a mm. uh, long time after that this was in the early
4: think. 2000s like yeah
1: early 2000s yeah um they actually called me up and asked for to cuz they wanted um Marilyn I was working with Marilyn Chambers a lot I was working with Mar- I did all of Marilyn Chambers and Ginger Lynn's comeback movies huh. when they were returning to adult so I produced and directed um you know each three for Marilyn and I think I think Ginger and I end up doing four or five together and um They called up and, you know, asked about Marilyn, and I I actually said, hey, um, absolutely, here's, uh, I will get, I will uh, pass the message on to Marilyn. She went and auditioned for him, and I go, but, you know, um, besides being Jane Hamilton, my name is Veronica Hart, and um, (laughs) I was wondering if there's a chance I might be able to audition for you. And uh, they let me audition, and it was fucking crazy. I mean, you know, I walk into a room and there's um Alan Ball and uh Kathy Bates and it's like, oh my God, I bow you. I bow you. I <laughs> bow you. I was like, you know, oh I am not worthy. And you know, I got to read in front of them and I got the part. It was like awesome. It was it was really, really most wonderful. I was so happy about that. And then, um, let's see, with um, One-Eyed Monster that I did with um, Ron Jeremy, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, they came after me. I I played a, what was my, what was the name of that? Vanessa Del, I don't know. It wasn't Vanessa Del Rio, but you could tell it was, they were doing a cross on Vanessa and and, uh, somebody else. But anyway... um, we well, see. That's like, what I
4: was mostly curious about with those things. Is I wondered how often they would know who you were and come th- see most you of the out. Stuff,
1: Most of the stuff that I've gotten, uh, people have sought me out for. Ah, so
2: that's okay. Know. That's what well, I. That's found, what I, come,
1: I come on, baby. Come on, baby. I'm 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 rolling out the vibes out there. I'm throwing it out. Come on, bring <laughs> me to your movie. Bring me to your movie. Come on now. <laughs> I'm serious. Because I'm cool. I'm I'm looking for work and I and I want I want any prospective uh, director or producer who's out there looking and who likes what I do come to me I'm uh, I'm uh, Jane Hamilton on Facebook in Los Angeles exactly <laughs> and cool. I'm uh, Veronica dot Biz but it's a bad website but I promise I'll get it up soon. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting way of putting that anyway
4: uh, <laughs> but but yes, exactly. I, yeah, I was so I was expecting the rim shot uh and that was a weird that's way for way me it. to put that
1: Boy, so. tired
4: <laughs> this is a this is a question that uh, that occurs to me anytime I get the chance to talk to someone who's been in front of the camera for decades which is yeah. a strange question and I don't know how often people think of it in these terms, but how do you feel about having a real, tangible, accessible visual record of yourself across so many different parts of your life?
1: It feels completely natural because that's what I was made to do. I was made to be an actress. I mean, that's what I'm most comfortable doing, and i'm 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 happy about it. I, I tell you, it's rough getting older. It's really rough, uh, you know. And That's what the, one of the reasons I decided to to go gray. I'm not competing with the beautiful gals that are out there anymore. I'm I'm um, you know I'm not a bad looking older lady, but 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 I am what I am.
4: And so, I mean, and there are I a million to ways to be beautiful. I mean, there's as many ways to be Aww. beautiful as there are people on the planet, and that's just the way it is.
1: I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm just happy to still be here and still be still be working at it, and you know I'm. I think it's interesting. It's interesting. It's more interesting to probably my fans and to me. I don't spend my time looking at my old movies, Ron. That's not what I do. Well, I mean,
4: I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't you know expect I mean? that you would. I, I mean, I
1: bet you. Uh, I'm sure other people. I hope that'd be lovely if other people did. But that's not what I spend my time doing. I don't look at that stuff. I don't. I mean, I have seen it when it came out, usually at a screening or something like that, and, and I'm really thrilled to be in it. But like most of the stuff I do now, like even with James or something like that, I don't, I don't, I don't even get to see the finished product. I don't, I don't keep copies or anything like that. Are you, are you the kind learning. of actress
4: that cringes away from seeing themselves on screen, or is it just no. something that doesn't interest you?
1: No, no, it's not that. It's just, it's just work. It's, I don't spend most of my free time uh, looking at work when I'm not working. But I, it, I think it doesn't, it, it doesn't make you it uncomfortable. Came Oh, no, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. It's interesting. You know, I, 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 uh, I think it's interesting to see stuff. Um, you know, oh, you wanted one, one, one instance where it was bad. Um, I was in a film called Jack Ruby and I was playing this, this character called uh, Telephone Trixie. I was with, working with Danny Aiello and I was playing a stripper. And I had this great scene with Danny Aiello that kind of set up the rest of the movie. It's about Jack Ruby, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it I was so excited about it and, and really thrilled to have gotten it. And, you know, and it, being a stripper was like a part, was, was what I was playing. But the, the thing was, I was the whole connective material for what happened next. And they forgot to tell me before that I saw it that, that most of it had completely gotten cut out and was um, um, narrated by a voiceover. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Okay, that was one time that I was at the premiere, and I was, you know, there was a little thing where I do my little strip number, and I'm supposed to be on a telephone and everything, and I get called away from this, I get called from the bar to the stage, do my thing, and then I was all ready for my scene with Danny Aiello. I was so excited, and nothing. That sucks. That
4: sucks.
1: Oh, man, it was just, it was just, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, um, yeah, it made me sad. But, you know, I survived. <laughs> well, yes,
0: obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was like, so, so that was one time when I actually was there and was watching and, and, and got completely Completely destroyed by it, you know. There are yeah. other times, you know, when I, when they used to do the big screenings of the, the films when I was making adult, you know, and you'd see something like, oh, my God, why didn't somebody clean my feet before that close <laughs> up, you know, or oh, my God, you know. So that's the kind of stuff that I think I see when I watch it. Or it, it'll be very interesting because you will have a scene where you're completely... I hate to say it. This happens. Everybody knows it. Sometimes you have sex and it's not the best sex in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have sex and you go, oh, God, that was tough. Right? (laughs) It happens. It happens in real life. It happens in the movies. And you'll be seeing a scene that was kind of, oh, boy, I'm glad I got that over with. And you go, fuck, that looks great. And then you'll see another scene where you felt it. And it was great, and you climaxed, and it was so close and so intimate, and it was so moving, and you see it on screen, and it was like, eh. So,
4: the experience art, of the, ca- the experience of the cameras, it can be com- completely different from completely, the internal.
1: Completely yeah. removed from internally yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Art is the illusion of truth, not truth, necessarily. Sometimes it is, sometimes not so much.
4: Yeah, if you're, if you're lucky, it gets close.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're when you're directing or something. I think if you can get 85 percent of what you wanted to see, you're doing great.
0: Yeah.
4: yeah, Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
4: Well, well, listen, I don't want to keep you. I don't want to keep you any later than we already have. I know that uh, luckily where you are, it's not as late as where we are.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, no.
4: It's it's Friday night. What else am I going to be doing? This is the best thing I've done on a Friday night in in a long time. Trust me.
1: (laughs) Oh, I hate to hear that. I hate to hear that.
4: Stop laughing. Stop laughing. (laughs)
1: Hey, me too. Okay? Me too. I'm really happy to be here with you guys on a Friday night, and it was lovely. And I thank you so much. Uh, I hope I've made a new friend with you, Rod. And and, um, John, uh, we're buds. That's all I can say.
4: He's uh, a he's a sweet sweet man. Just don't let him near your silverware.
1: Don't let him near the what? Right? Your, your soul? Is, is that what you said?
4: No, I said silverware.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Although, oh thank oh, God! The, the thank fact, God, the it. fact that you. you I thought you I said soul. <laughs> and I went. Oh my God! Did I miss something? Did I misjudge this man? That the I fact love? that you
4: that's thought okay. I said soul is the best thing that's happened to me in weeks. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that.
1: God. Okay, I feel better. Yeah, John, you can have my silverware anytime, babe. <laughs> my soul, not so much. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, hang on, soul. hang
4: on to the soul. Yeah. <laughs> thank you once again. This has been fantastic
1: so so happy to be with you guys and i hope you can edit it and uh, make some sense out of all of this oh it's going to be a sprawling
4: mess and and you are the you are the
1: least problematic
4: bit of it you should <laughs> oh man when we start talking about movies it's 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 like watching a pinball jerk around a table it's pathetic
1: right it's like it doesn't doesn't that happen with you all the time you think of one thing and all of a sudden it spurs you off into some other universe yeah. or something like that and you're trying to get back to the that happens with me all the time. And then I have to go, oh, my God, what were we talking about again? It's like, yeah, completely lose it. Yeah, I'd love
4: to blame it on me being in my 50s. But honestly, I was just as bad in my 20s and 30s. It's, yeah, it's the way it
1: is. I know, right? I thought, you know, once I stopped drugs, I thought my my memory would be great. Not so much. Yeah, nope. Nope. Didn't No, it
4: did, didn't age, much. age, age does it to all of us. But you know, <laughs> it, it, it really does. Thank you yes. once again.
1: Uh, so such a pleasure, such a pleasure. And um, don't be a stranger. And I love you guys. Thanks for having me.
4: Thank you very much. All right. Well, <laughs> cannot thank Miss Hamilton enough. For the interview, uh, man, she's somebody. It's you were right, man. It's just amazing to sit down and talk with her. She's got
3: boy stories, and and I think we just scratched the surface. I actually want her to be on every episode of the show.
4: <laughs> Get her opinion on every weird little. Wait, what does she think of Stunt Rock? Are gonna make you gonna make her watch Stunt Rock? That's not that's not You don't. She's a nice lady. Let's not let's not let's not tweak her that way.
3: Well, yeah, she probably. I don't know if she'd sit down for stunt rock, but maybe we can get her into Italian horror films. And...
4: <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to do that to her if, if it's not to her taste. Now, let's not force
3: it. That's true. That's true. We, we've corrupted enough people.
4: <laughs> Precisely. Let's let's keep our, our sphere of corruption a little smaller than that.
3: You know, she, she is a sweetheart, and I actually would love to have her on every episode of the show, just so we can have some, some like positivity around here yeah really
4: with you around jeez yeah, i'm just
3: <sighs> such a cloud <laughs>
4: uh hr puff and snuff you ain't
3: <laughs> you're a terrible person
4: <laughs> well uh once again thanks to her and uh thanks to you for listening to us talk about boogie nights uh we were able to enhance it this time around because mr hudson knew miss hamilton this is great i i love we don't we don't often get those kind of interviews and it's great you were saying earlier something about wanting to uh, recommend some adult films for people to check out if they're curious about the that period of uh, the the golden age of porn.
3: Yeah, because um, as we said earlier, there there is a lot of there are a lot of bad porn films. There are and there are. Oh, but oh, and I, again, oh, I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah, but I also <laughs> want to say that there are a lot of bad films of any kind. So I'm not. I don't want to paint that with one big brush because there are also a lot of really good films and I mean that sincerely. I mean it's as long as you're no going in there's going to be some sex going on here. There are some good movies to be found. So if all of this talk has made you think maybe I want to check one of these out. From beginning to end. From beginning to end. um, There are are, uh, several good ones out there and I thought of um, I'm just going to recommend three that are easy to get because you can order these from Vinegar Syndrome right now. One would be a film that actually stars Veronica Hart called Indecent Exposure. It's a um, film that stars her along with three other fantastic actors from the period. Robert Kerman, who is Arbola in the film, um, Eric Edwards and Georgina Spelvin, huh. and also Jessie St. James, who doesn't always get looped in with like the great actors of the time, but she's also really good in the film, and it's like a it's a really good little love story very sweet story. It's, it's just a nice a nice little film. Um, also, on the other end of Little would be a big film, but well, there's, there's some... You can tell we've been at this a while. I'm, I'm really <laughs> eloquent there. There's a film called The ribble Tales of Canterbury, starring Hypatia Lee.
4: Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes.
3: And this is quite the epic. It's set in the Canterbury Tales. It, except, it has a budget, yeah. yeah. It has a budget, and um, it's the Canterbury Tales with all, all the sex left in. <laughs> <laughs> no one no one turns away their eyes. No one averts their gaze no, when the, cam, when the, the nasty the camera, happens. The camera stays with it. But it's, again, an entertaining film. And um, it's one you wouldn't be ashamed to be watching. A third one, also available from Vinegar Syndrome, would be a film called Mascara, starring Lisa DeLeo. It's a film about a... Mascara? Woman, Mascara. Okay. It's um, She's a woman who kind of goes on a journey of sexual discovery. All right. She sees her boss bringing in a prostitute and she realizes that her own sexuality is something she wants to explore. So she reaches out to this prostitute say, can you help me find myself? And it's a good little character drama.
4: Hmm, cool. Uh, these are uh, late 70s, early 80s?
3: Um, all late 70s, early 80s. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I think uh, the Canterbury one is probably the latest of the bunch. That was probably like 83, 84 and um, I also reached out to um, someone who might know a thing or two about these movies, Eric Edwards, uh-huh. who was um, one of the best actors. In fact, um, he, he was mentioned a couple of times in the interview that we just did. He was a um, Golden Age star. With, if, if you've seen more than about three of these movies, you've probably seen him in one of them. And uh, he was a uh, actor and director and a, a really, really good actor, too. I reached out to him. And asked him if he had anything he would recommend. And um, here's what he had to say. Here's some couple movies that I've made that I can recommend. They obviously have my usual twists and turns along the way. And a surprise ending also. I call them couples movies because I would treat the sex scenes more delicately. So as not to scare off a woman from the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I can say his films a lot of them have like a little Rod Serling twist at the end. The ones that he directed. Um, Memoirs of a Chambermaid. What year, what year was that? Uh, I don't Early know. 80s? These would have probably been 80s. Yeah, okay. When he was directing, he was, they were shooting them on video mm-hmm. at that point where he really got to, to direct couples films. So these would be like later 80s, mid-80s when they got to be shot more on video. All right. Memoirs of a Chambermaid, a film called Mirage. And then he also recommends one called Firestorm, which is shot on film. About that one he says, I didn't make that last one, but it's one of my favorite one of my personal favorites, and very woman-oriented also. Veronica Hart's in that. Mm-hmm. She yeah. is. It's a tender love story between myself and two women. It, was, it received several awards that year, including Best Picture and Best Original Song. Then he says, I got Best Actor for it also, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Eric is also he's, uh, out there on uh, social media under his real name of Rob Everett. Very fan friendly, so if you've ever wanted to reach out to him, he would love to hear from folks. Cool, cool. And uh, if
4: you enjoyed the show, thank you. Uh, Rate and review the show wherever you pick this thing up. And if you've got any comments or suggestions, any ideas for the show, or just want to
3: tell us that we suck, that's that's good too. (laughs) What if I think you suck?
4: You 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 can tell me that. You do tell me that. That's true. What am I saying? (laughs) That's true. The email address for the show is the bloody gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, good or bad, mostly good. If we keep it good, that that it's it's a it's an egotistical kind of thing, I know, but it's just I need that 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 positive reinforcement from someone who I I, I will never be in the same room with. Because once you're in the room with me, you you think badly of me. It's just the way it is. <laughs>
3: Well, that's true.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can join us over on the Facebook group as well. And uh, we'd just like to say uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I am Rod Barnett. And I'm John Hudson. And we will talk to you again soon.